I mean, like, obviously, we don't got, like, a list of movies and shit we want to do, but typically we want to do movies where the black black people, black protagonists win in the end. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a black movie, you know what I'm saying? Like, something like Friday, just for lack of a better... Black director, black, black. It doesn't have to be black, 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 but it got to be, like, something that's a fair representation... Not fair representation, but, like, a, a healthy representation of black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, something that don't lead us in the wrong direction. Yeah. Because we remember the impact Scarface. I mean, the impact Black Panther had. That shit was in the movies for about two years. Like. We experienced the impact Black Panther. Man. Man. Black Panther caused an entire shift. What? I remember I was in the movies the day it came out. Some people, people was in there, there like, yeah, nigga, yeah. People was in there with Dashiki, and some people was upset. Motherfuckers like Huey Newton and shit ain't pop up. Like, who's you? Uh, niggas, listen, niggas in there with leather jackets and black berets on. I'm like, yeah, brother, you, yo, they going crazy in there. I'm like, oh, we got black Judas in here. Niggas ain't like Killmonger die yet. Niggas still, I am Killmonger. Genocide. They're like, I'm Killmonger when it comes to these crackers. They, oh, everything went there. Everything say, went there. Genocide included, you know. Mass murder. You feel me? They put everything about a superhero movie to the side. That movie meant something. Like, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Niggas heard Black Panther. All the Brotherhood came out. Everybody. That shit yeah. was serious. They lucky Farrakhan they bring his black ass out there. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he just stood up there during the movie like, listen, people, listen. Or oh, Umar. Oh, oh, God. Umar talk your fucking head. I'll fuck with Umar, but... Yeah. Oh, my bad. Dr. Umar, we show respect to the black folk on this show. Uh, nah, I ain't... Nah. <laughs> Umar, funniest shit, no. He gets not a drop from me. He, go he be talking, though. Talking some bullshit. He, he right up there. <laughs> he not as bad as Tariq and she yet. He, he not as bad as Tariq and she yet. He, he I up, don't know. I, in a way, I'm more offended by Umar than I am with Tariq and she because Umar likes to peddle black plight, fear, and white hatred into money. He gets money out of people by doing that shit. And I feel like that's just insidious. That's nothing new, though. Definitely not. And, People, Everybody I, got their own agenda. We'll Everybody. talk about it. We'll talk about this eventually when I feel like when we allow us, meaning I don't even like using the term black people because I'll get into it later, of course, but when us as a people allow extremists to co-op our plight, struggle or whatever into their own agenda, and it, yeah. just, it just grinds my gears. And, and you don't ever want to be the person getting in front of progress. Quote unquote. Oh man, you you know we we can, we love to cancel each other. We yeah, you know it. you know quote unquote progress. You don't want to be the person getting in front of it, but it's like I don't really know if this is actual progress towards the society. And I don't think. And if it's progress, they get damn sure ain't for us. It's for their pockets. If they pockets or their ideolo ideology, but their personal facts. Either way. I don't want to be the movie podcaster. They talking about man, cancel them niggas. All they talk about is All white right. movies. They pick their little black movies before we even got started. We ain't for the season one yet. We ain't even got a sponsor yet. I think we got one. We got one sponsor. Okay. You want to cancel us right now? <laughs> you ready to get into it?
Alright, let's get into the shits. Yo, for the first time, we have a movie that's not two hours, so we're not going to have to shit on them again. This is the movie, not this is directly the movie, but this is the type of movie Scarface should have been, where it's just like an hour and 45 minutes, and you compact everything you want to flesh out in that. And it's just... We've been shitting on Scarface about three weeks. Well, then we have our own. We got like <coughs> movies under our belt, so now we got like a movie canon. So now, yeah, hell yeah, I won't have to reference outside sources that people may not have seen. I could just reference shit we talked about. Stuff that we've done. Yeah, so now yeah, it's, it felt good, don't it? Like a like a curriculum in a way. Like as, as yeah. a teacher, I'm saying I'm a teacher, but now I won't have to be like a surrogate character is. And then I go quote the Hunger Games, but we niggas gonna be hyper shit to come back. Ooh, I remember he said on the Scarface episode. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or I think right now a little bit foreshadowing. Chris is a surrogate character, so now I can reference Chris as a former surrogate character that we talked about. But <clears throat> be a great episode. Yeah, I get the uh, the intro popping. Come here, Chris, look at me. <laughs> Found it. Where was your mom? She, uh...
Now you're in the sunken place. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whenever time you listen to this beautiful people. This is the Seen It Podcast, episode five. I am Hendrix, the writer. And I go by the name of Saeed. And today we are reviewing Jordan Peele's directorial debut as Get Out. And Get Out exists in my, I'll be very transparent from the front, this is my personal favorite movie of all time, and this is movie sitting in the movie theater watching this movie, this movie became the inspiration for me to want to make movies. A little background knowledge for myself, I've always had a passion for writing and storytelling. I remember when I was a kid back when we had a computer in the house, but no internet, I would just go on Word and write stories. And there were stories about shit like, you know, Pokemon fan fiction, shit like that, but I was still like writing at a young age. And now, 23, I'm still writing more serious work, of course, but, you know, I'm still writing. I'm still pursuing a career to possibly be a director one day and I give a lot of credit to this film for the work it did um, on me and my future journey. So you could say I would be a biased observer, but I do believe in objective criticism. I think eventually we'll have disagreements upon where I feel like this movie should have gone compared to what you think. Because we did speak about this a little bit in the beginning of the week, and I was like, no, I'll just save it for the podcast. I feel like that would be a good natural discussion. Yeah. Other than the plot threading we do, um, everything, the conversation itself is live, unscripted, and raw. I feel like you do a great job post, not during, but post uh kind of rein it in when I want to be more mechanical and you like, no, nah, we should just keep it how we've been doing it. I'm like, you know what? You know what? You know, I don't know everything, so I just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe our conversations are all the more better for it. I don't look at our analytics, but every review we get from the... Uh, they love it. Person, right, every personal review we get, they people love it. Love it. <clears throat> but back to uh, more background knowledge around Get Out and like I said, this is Jordan Peele. To to this point, we only know Jordan Peele is doing the the uh, how many sketches? Yeah, the 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 watered down Dave Chappelle show. <laughs> Nigga, that's more than watered down. That's ninety five percent water. <laughs> Terrible. That's, yeah, that's man, like you. That you asked. No, nah, I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna hold you. Some skits was definitely funny, but it wasn't. It's follow. The thing is, it was following up probably the greatest sketch comedy. That's my point. The greatest sketch comedy show of all time, and you followed up with this, it's inherently going to be disappointed. And it's in the and it was in the same time slot. It's like, what the fuck is this shit? That nigga was writing the get out of comedy sketches. <laughs> oh no, what sucking place the white folk had him on in Comedy Central? Like, your way in is your way in, though. I ain't gonna hold that against him. I respect, I respect that, but we coming from our personal opinion. We didn't like it. We didn't like it. Uh, my personal Somebody did. did not enjoy it at all. It's better. Me neither. Now, maybe if I didn't know Dave Chappelle, if I didn't know anything about the Dave Chappelle show and I watched it, I may have enjoyed it differently. A little bit more, but even still, it didn't live well on its own. I don't know because it's too close. It's too close for me to tell. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. can't really give a, a full fleshed out opinion on that. Like I said, like I said about Get Out, I might be biased, but with the Dave Chappelle versus Key and Pill show, I'm definitely biased. Especially since Aren't it came, we all? especially since it came immediately after Dave Chappelle. It wasn't like I won't say immediately because it was some cushion because Dave was going for a little bit, and then they like 
But this, then you watch it, it's like, this is the same type of, this is the same shit. Y'all playing with me. Yeah. You go shit in somebody else's hands and clap. You won't be doing it to me. <laughs> but, but the thing is, though, he's coming from sketch comedy, and then you, and then when he gets his film directorial debuts, he's writing horror, social commentary thrillers, and it's like, he popped out. Oh my God, I would never he expect yeah, it's like, wow, this is what Comedy Central was hiding? And we actually take this back to 2016. I remember watching the trailer with this with my mom. I literally remember this shit. We was going to see um, a movie, because one thing, I, me and you both share, we love going to the movies for the experience of it. Yeah, like that's but, never changed for me. And I, I hate 2020. It never changed. It took it from me. Even though the better, like the overall better viewing experience is probably at home, the overall experience of going to the movie theater will always have a place in my heart. I just love that aspect of film. People are frustrated, but I understand why Disney is like, no, we're not releasing none of our stuff until the theaters come out. We gonna they be got fine. a platform that they can survive. We gonna be fine. AMC and shit might be fucked, but we could hold out. So if we can even build our own theaters in the wake of y'all fuck collapsing. Wouldn't that be some shit? I think I think if they do that. That's when the government will step in and try to topple Disney if they do that, because it's already like an entertainment monopoly where they have like a bunch of studios under their control. Like they got ESPN, they got Fox, they got National Geographic, and then they got Hulu now. Hulu, then they got their library on top of it. If they start owning theaters, that's when like the government will be like, hey, hey, break this up now, like you did with the uh, phone company and railroad system. Yeah, you're gonna be in there sitting in Disney character seats and shit. You sit down and they make their noise. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Stop, Moana, don't touch me. <laughs> and, it's, and then knowing Disney, it'll be open 24-7 screening all Disney all the time. It'll be Disney plus. Right. And the thing is, I can guarantee you we're not the first people talking about they spitball just years ago. Mm-hmm. I won't say they predicted it, but it's unfortunate. Yeah, they talked about it. They talked about it. In 2016, I remember watching a trailer for this coming out. Yeah, I remember watching this trailer, and I was just like, Jordan Pill. Ain't that the nigga that be with Key? That's the uh, Obama skitball. Yeah, I was literally looking at it because it looks so good. I was like, it's about to be some funny-ass shit. They play Because, you know, when comedy people come out with movies, they make it all intense. You see it as a comedy. Mm-hmm. They show you all I'm the like, that's why Yeah, I like, like, like And movie. that's why I didn't like Uncut Gems, but... I never saw Uncut Gems. Spoiler alert, I've never seen that movie. I've been holding out on it because I don't rush to movies that have been hyped through the wazoo. It, was, it wasn't hyped for a good reason. But anyway, when I when I saw this, I was like, it can't be the way it looked. Not from this funny-ass nigga. I don't remember seeing trailers for this movie. I remember... I think I... No, I took my grandma to see Us. But, um... Yeah, but, I took my mom again. Um, I feel like I t- took somebody on a date. The, the name's not important. I went there and yeah. I, was, I was just fixated on the screen for damn near two hours. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Like, this is, like, I already have a passion for storytelling. And this is like, yeah, 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 this is, this is it. This ain't the movie I'm going to be in here sucking titties and shit. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch this. Leave me alone. <laughs> Fingering in the back of the pearl. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> I don't even think it's the pearl now. What is it called now? They changed oh, the name? You, yeah, you're not affiliate no more. It's like AMC something. What? They changed the pearl? Yeah, man. 
Nigga, that's a Philly landmark at this point. It's still there. It's just not called the Pearl no more. Yeah, I rolled past it a few weeks ago. I ain't noticed the name change. Yes, sir. It's AMC Broad Street 7. And it's no That's longer corny as shit. That's corny as shit. I will tell you, though, it does look, it is cleaner inside. It, of course. Because when I went to go see James inside. Brown, it was niggas sitting in the rows. That was how black it was. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to go see James Brown, niggas on the side hitting this shit. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Man. Good times. Uh, good. I love Black History Month, right? No more finger banging in the back of the pearl. <laughs> no, no, no. Took it away from me. Not with this movie. You need to experience Jordan Peele movies. You can't coast through. But for this to be our first time seeing them do it, we didn't know we had to. No, I came in there no. ready. I had my hands ready on her lap. But then I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Mm. He said, hold up. <laughs> What's going on? Man, fuck this movie, man. <laughs> but, yeah, then I'm um, watching uh, Jordan Peele interviews after he said this movie. One, it took, I hinted at earlier, well, not earlier, but in a previous episode, how it took 10 years to make. And that was that was because the movie finds its basis and its grounding on the post-inauguration of Obama lie that somehow racism was defeated and vanquished because we elected a new president that happened to be black. A half-black, but yeah. It's, and, you know, us as two young black men, we both, uh, the look on our face, even though this is an audio platform, let you know that was a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> But the, the general discussion around it was, you know, Racism's over. And Jordan was like, oh, really? That's what you think? Watch this shit. It just shifted to... Now, obviously, this is a... Brings us... I won't say obviously, but this brings us to the conundrum that it exists with the movie. People... <laughs> I always love that word. Hey, guys. I'm Yosemite, and you're watching Word of the Day. A word of the day is... Conundrum. I love that word. Good. <laughs> As a technical horror movie... This is also a brilliant technical thriller, but it's hard to it's hard to watch the movie without picking up on the social commentary that is overly overtly being displayed. And now, at least, and now, I won't say this movie's preachy, but people don't like to be preached at for two hours about you know racism is bad, racism is bad. Nobody wants that. So it, even black, white, or a difference, not even because it isn't just white people don't like that being thrown in their faces. Even because I've even got in discussions with black people and discussions around where it's like, you know, I can do without all the racism, 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 racism. Oh, did you forget this racism? <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. I understand that spectacle. Now I understand uh, spectacle. I understand that viewpoint, and I see why some people would be turned off from the film. Even though I think it's a a great film, I understand that angle where you're like, I don't want to be, I'm not reminded or drilled or I don't think this movie's woke but for lack of a better term you know woke defied for two hours you know what I'm saying this movie damn near birthed the term woke it did <laughs> this movie damn near birthed it I remember that shit it definitely can't but, well, you know, since you, you know, brought up that point one thing I can say I love Childish Gambino <laughs> now stay woke that's that's the one thing I do love about Jordan Peele movies, though. Like he has a, you have to really watch a director to pick up on it, but like they have their own directorial quotes. Like when you watch a, not quotes, tropes, directorial tropes. Like when you watch a Tarantino movie, you're guaranteed to see you're guaranteed to see some chicks' feet. 
You're guaranteed to see gore, and you're guaranteed to see some white person saying nigga. That's just all you ever see. He give you exactly what the fuck he want to give you, and you exactly. know it's coming. That's a Tarantino movie. But with Jordan Peele, one of his tropes is like, I'm going to take a really popular song, and I'm going to make it eerily creepy. Like with us, he took I Got Five on it. I Got Five on it. And now I'm trying to figure out, and now I can't wait to see what he does with uh, Candyman, whenever that movie decides. Say my name to Beyonce, Junior. Yeah, whenever that movie decides it wants to come out. So I'm like, huh. But we left off at the liberal eye. I, I feel like I got enough set up. I understand the viewpoint of I don't want to be drilled in with woke rhetoric. Oh, you froze. Hold on, what the fuck? You want me to take it from the top again, or? Uh... Usually when we be skipping like that, it sounds fine on the recording. It's just I couldn't hear it. You sounded like fucking one of one of them people off of us when they was trying to talk. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, I wanted to throw water at my phone. Like, breathe, nigga, breathe. Oh, shit. <laughs> And now what he does with Candyman and say my name, I just can't wait to figure out how that one gets twisted inside out. And that's like one of his directorial. What did that mean? What? One of his directorial trolls. Well, with the Candyman, you know, you got to say his name three times in the mirror. It's like, we get it, but I want to see why you, you know. How you, how you freak it. Oh, and there, yeah. he, he got my man Yaha Abdul-Mateen uh, Abdul uh, as a leading role as Candyman. I think his name. Oh, that's his name? Yaha Abdul Mateen? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he is a great actor. Now, to this point, Yaha, well, until this year, Yaha has That's only... my man from uh, the Get Out? I mean, Get Up, Get Down. God damn it. Yeah, I'm not saying... I said Get Out, Get Up, and Get Down. To this point, Yaha, I'm going to look it up right now, but I'm going to keep trying to talk my way through it. To this point, Yaha hasn't done anything serious to my, uh, like... Serious would be the leading role to Candyman, but uh, he was in Watchmen. He played uh, Doctor Manhattan. He was in Aquaman. He played uh, Black Black. So we are talking about the same time. Yeah, Matrix Four. The Get Down there. Yeah, Get Down. Yeah, and yeah, um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so like I said, he hasn't done anything serious yet, and this would be like his coming out party, except. Because it was supposed to come out this year and it got pushed back because of, you know, not this year. It was supposed to come out last year, but it got pushed back to this year because of COVID. And Damn, last year would have been so good for movies. Damn it. But in its place, we got the brilliant, he's in this brilliant movie, uh, Trial of, Ch of the Chicago Seven. And he plays, I do not want to get this guy's name wrong at all. I would be remiss <laughs> if got his name wrong. Bobby Seal, head of the Black Panthers. I would be very upset if I got his name wrong. He plays Bobby Seal in this movie. And Yaha Blue Martin is a great actor. So that's what's on the slate for Candyman getting back to get out. He said the liberal lie, but and from all right, that's the social commentary around the movie that's based upon liberal lie. And from the technical aspect, I think if I could pin one technical thing, which I've been doing for the majority of the movies, at this point, I guess it's going to be our niche. I promise it wasn't intentional, but it just ended up being that way. Like last episode with Godfather, it was power and respect being displayed in different aspects. With this movie, this is like a masterclass of setup and payoff. And you have to really be 
not really be paying attention, but once you catch it, it's hard to miss the setups and payoffs that go forward. It becomes blatant to the point where you're like, oh, this is exactly what's going on. Like I said, with power and respect and Godfather. And it doesn't make it a detriment to the movie because it's not hand-fisted or, you know, like Scarface, hammer, meat, nail. We're going to get you to understand. Like, no, it's just brilliant in how it's framed because it's just subtle. The setups are just subtle enough for the, to be seen as casual conversation and to be passed along. But then when the payoff happens, it reframes everything you saw beforehand. It makes subsequent watches brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. moving on <laughs> to the... We'll actually start breaking down now. <laughs> and the first scene is uh, Lakeith Sanfield. Um, I don't know. I, I think Andre Hayworth That's is... That's my boy. Lakeith Sanfield, I, I wasn't... That's I'm not my a, boy. I'm not a fan of his rhetoric outside of movies, but as an actor, he is... He's a fucking weirdo out of movies. He's weird outside yeah, of weird. movies. I don't know. And it's awkward weird. Like, you be yeah, like, it's not like the... You want to turn your back? <laughs> it's not like the embracing weirdo. It's the pretentious weirdo. It's like... That's it's how like you, you want to be woke so bad. You don't feel that way. It's like, that's how you think of when he was... I think when he was campaigning to play the Joker. And I was just like, what? And then he went on the breakfast club and started rapping. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> that's exact. That's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh, okay. But as... For movie, I love his movies. I'm gonna say, but as an actor, he is brilliant. He's in Sorry to Bother You, where he's fantastic. He's in. He's in a bunch of shit. You know, yeah, he does play in a lot of things. He's in a bunch of shit. And that right there, because there's something uh, I don't have the technical name for it off the top of my tongue, but typically when you start a screenplay, you start an episode, you want to have something interesting happen within like the first ten minutes. And with Lakeith, that was that bullshit. With Lakeith and Jeremy, you see him getting. You see him getting choked out, essentially, from the beginning, and he's setting it up where he's like, he's in this white suburb and doesn't know what's going on. And he don't like, know where he's going. You know, where that he's just going. Then you see, the, uh, I think it's a Corvette. I'm not, I couldn't really get a good picture. I think it's a Corvette. I didn't get a make of it, yeah. It pulls up, and it's just casual. First, it's just casual. It turned around on and him. He, and then he spins the box once he gets past him. I guess that was true. black folk don't like, like that shit. And Lakeith turned around and he's like, no, no. We'll be. He said, I'm not doing that shit. Dude. And then he's playing the song. And then the song is playing. He's like, teach. I forget how the song goes, but he's playing the song. <laughs> but the song is being played out of the car. And that ends up being the theme. I'm putting that hair just so you know. That will help. <laughs> rather than have tiki, but that's how. I can do it. I can do it like that. Lion King shit. Oh, I could do it like Godfather. So I guess we could just cut this part and just have it right here. All right, so since this is a very visual scene, I guess I'll put on the director's voice and describe it. <clears throat> so we see Lakeith. He's walking through confused. He's checking his phone. doesn't understand what's going on. I believe he's talking to his girlfriend. And as he's checking his phone, he's looking up trying to find his surroundings. He doesn't know exactly where he's going, but he's taking steps. And then we see a car pull up, a Corvette car with the floodlights on. It isn't just a regular car breezing by. It's cruising. Once it passes Lakeith, the car buzzes a U-turn and starts following behind him. Keith, being the vision of black person he is, you know, oh no, I'm not going for Hell this. Hell no. <laughs> turns around like, you know what, no, fuck this, I'm going the other way. And then there's that time when who we find out to be is Jeremy, but at this point it's a, a guy in a night helmet. Goes and walks up to Lakeith and chokes him out and drags him in the car. Boom, title scene. And that is the opening scene to get out. And right there, that is the hook 
behash you for the rest of the movie. You're talking about what the fuck just happened? What did I just see? Why? I'm like, niggas is nigga napping. Yeah. Like, if you had it, and like I said before, something interesting needs to happen in the first 10 minutes to hook you into the movie. Of course. And then after the title scene, we are set with, I'm going to say this all the time. I don't care how many times I watch it. Rose and Chris' relationship looks perfectly natural. It's perfectly normal every time I see this movie. Every time. I like, with twist movies, people like to act real pretentious and know it all. After they see the movie, like, oh, you could always tell. Like, you could have saw him. Shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> every time, and I've seen this movie more times than I can count. Every time I've seen this movie, their relationship looks more and more natural. And I finally pinpointed why. And it's because Rose is, like, quirky and awkward. And it's quirky and awkward to the princess where she feels like a normal person. Like, she's putting her face up on the glass to pick out the perfect bag or whatever. And instead of her hair isn't perfectly kept like a a meticulous super villain would be. It's like a little all over the place. Like it looks like it could be brushed or whatever. One thing I can say, I agree with you, is, is organized chaos in a relationship because, like you said, her imperfections cater to his character perfectly. And, it makes, and as we progress with him, we be like, oh, and it makes he's it, like a, he's a house of cards. And it makes it seem like normal people. Like this is someone you, this is a couple you know. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's true. Almost all the characters. I don't think that's one thing Jordan Peterson does. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peele does is he not has caricatures of people. He has actual people. He has actual people. Yeah. yeah. Like our negative example will always be Scar uh, Scarface, where it's like the character, the supporting characters ended up being caricatures, or even not just the regular Scarface, even with um. Gone Girl, the supporting characters were more so caricatures and plot devices than they were characters, but in Jordan Peele movies, his supporting characters are actual people. You feel yeah, like they're, they're all people with their own lives and their own subplots within the movie. All issues, yep. And that's and that's cool. Start, all starts here because this movie does a lot. I feel like, in a way, well, of course, this is like probably his magnum opus and this is directorial debut, so. I think it sets an unfair precedent for movies going forward that stuff like us got dragged for it unfairly. Yes, yes. With um, with this, is I talking about characterization. Rose and Chris, they're like normal people. You would, you probably know these people in real life, so that already helps to throw you off the scent of a potential twist. And when she goes to knock on the door, she doesn't. She tries to knock on the door with her hand, but then she can't. So then she starts knocking on it with her head. I was like, it's weird, but it's like. Oh. Okay, you're a little quirky because her hands are full. So it's like, you know, if I get knocked yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you go see them and then they're running through it or whatever. But another thing this does, what? Another thing, show don't tell. And he shows Chris is a photographer before telling us he's a photographer, which is more interesting. Because very dark content as well. Yeah, I think the word, uh, not to get ahead of mom me, used, yeah. What the word, say? um, the art collector used was brutal. The blonde dude, yes, sir. Yeah, it perfectly described it. It was like, hey. That's the word you was looking for when he said it. You went, yep. Yeah, because it's real dark, real negative, but it's natural in a way. And, it, yeah. and the pictures are good. I don't think uh, Daniel Kaluuya shot those pictures himself. Of course not. But the pictures itself are great. I'm saying not to disparage Kaluuya. He might be the world's greatest photographer I've never heard of. But, Let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. This is my first time. Was this his introduction movie? As like a, a leading role? Just, I've never seen Daniel Kaluuya before this. Have you? 
Um, I feel like I have, and I wasn't able to pin it on him. Yeah, well, maybe, of course, there's a lead, and I'm sure, but I'm, I've never seen him in anything. Prior to get out? Not that I've seen. Uh, Sicario, Johnny English, kick ass. Nah, right. yeah, no. Nah. Shoot the messenger. Nah. Nothing that you would notice he's in, because that's a bunch of Yeah, especially not kick ass. And I've seen kick ass. I didn't think I to. have too. I've never seen him in that. Yeah, so, you know, uh, as a leading role, yeah. Johnny yes. English. Ain't that fucking the so white dude that we shoot him up, bang bang movie. <laughs> I know exactly what that is, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, this is like his leading role, and Daniel Kaluuya is a great actor. Not to dunk on Michael B. Jordan again, but I feel like if he would have played, uh, if he would have played Killmonger, it would have been Tom Sin, and I feel like Michael B. Jordan did a great job with Killmonger, like I said, but. Daniel Kaluuya wouldn't have been no slouch either. I feel like Daniel Kaluuya's talents were kind of wasted being, you know, uh angry hippo guy. Yeah, on some hating shit and his girl left him, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> you you promised me to bring me his buddy. <laughs> it's like a line. But Daniel Kaluuya is a great actor, and even Allison Williams is another great actor. She plays Rose. And um Back to uh, them being a believable couple. They're going down the list of stuff, you know, to have. When you're going to listen to someone's house, you know, the usual. You got your clothes, toothbrush, etc. Yeah. But the thing that also makes them a more believable couple is when Rose picks up on just the slightest bit of doubt in his voice. And there's something I didn't even notice. I don't care how many times I watched it. I've never noticed the doubt she might have picked on. But she's like, hold on, Sid. There's something wrong with your dad. And she's like... What's wrong? And then Chris pops the question. It's like, do they know I'm black? Do they know I'm black? Yeah. yeah. The obvious elephant in the room. Right. And I think the first lie, because I, like I said, this movie is based on liberal lies. The first lie was when Rose acts as if it wouldn't matter. Then you're bringing home your first black boyfriend. It's like, why wouldn't you think that would be something? That's like, bullshit. And you didn't tell him? Now, I'm someone who doesn't care about interracial uh, relationships or marriages and Albeit, I've never dated outside my race. I feel like if I was to bring home, not because someone told me to, just because that's my preference. It's your preference. But if I was to bring home a white woman, I feel like I would need to tell my mother that. (laughs) It matters. It matters. It matters. And not in like a sense that black people are inherently racist, but it's just something you just want to run past someone. Because not everyone has the same tolerance as someone like me. As someone like me. I'm not prepared to come home with a white girl and my mom hit me with a, oh, okay. How are you? And it goes really awkward. It's like, what? It's like, oh, and it's not, you know, not saying mom, mom Dukes is racist, but you know, that's just something you would. And it's shocker. It's very shocking. It's something you want to let people know, especially if you only dated in your uh, race for that period of time. At least his name was a baby book named Chris Washington. Chris Washington, right. A Raekwon bringing home a rose. Imagine a, like, uh, like, I'm in the same place, like Keith. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and then you see Keith, it's like, oh, that's Keith. That, okay, I, I can see it. That's a nigga. No, that's <laughs> Hendrix. That, that's exactly who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, my name gave it away. Exactly. The Wu-Tang guy? <laughs> that's a, a subtle form of racism right there. I feel like yeah, I probably... The Wu-Tang guy. I definitely get a uh, advantage when it comes to getting applications and shit pulled with my name. <laughs> <laughs> but me, damn. Nope. 
Raekwon Saeed. Nah, he's black. Nah. Yeah, it's nigger. <laughs> <laughs> but you see Keith Antonio, it's like, oh, this gentleman. <laughs> and he could be a white Spaniard. We don't know what he could be. <laughs> I could be anything but the person who shows up. <laughs> They're going to think this nigga was in the Godfather. <laughs> They're looking at the application twice and shit. Who? <laughs> this this the same guy. <laughs> You're not the Rick one. We just looked at <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but I think that's, that's like the first lie that, that wouldn't matter. And this plays on that I don't see color narrative where it's like, no, you definitely see color. It's whether or not color matters to you, which it should, but you definitely see color. To act like there are differences among people is bullshit. Anything else? Nah, nah, you pretty much, we talked about it all. The fact that for this to be the, First black person you ever bring it home, it fucking matters. It does yeah, matter. Matters very importantly. And it matters in the vice versa way of Chris. Like, we know Chris' parents aren't around, but if Chris was bringing home a white woman to his family, it, it matters. matters. And Chris has like, you should tell him that. And, excuse me, we get the, uh, a, uh, a setup that doesn't get even flushed out until the end of the movie where she's like, you're not going to get chased off the lawn with a shotgun. And that's what yeah. yeah. So you have to watch all the way through to realize this is a setup for, for the payoff. Yeah. This the writing is so tight in this movie. It, it, She's it's, talking about so oh fair. I forgot to tell my parents you're a black man. I was just <laughs> cracking the fuck up. I was man, that's Jordan Pill's comedy probably because the comedy in this movie is great. Black man? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. My, my black boyfriend, the black black man. <laughs> I was cracking the fuck. It helps. And then like. That was satire. Yeah, it's definitely satire. Got comedy for sure. But it's hilarious in the sense that like, oh, the black. I'm... The one thing this movie does great is when it describes the ridiculous nature of the plot, it doesn't take it too serious. Like when it describes it to the audience where it doesn't, where it's doing the fourth wall break type of thing with Rod's character. Yeah. It, yeah. Too serious. It understands how ridiculous this sounds. <laughs> I think it's all the more better for it because it doesn't it doesn't come at inopportune times of tension. Like in a Marvel movie, you see they're about to fight Thanos, for example, or someone will make a fart joke. And I'm like, really? That's what you're doing? But with this movie, it's like the tension be settled and then they'll it's like a tone shift, a palette switch. A so you relief. Yeah, so you're not just, you know, doom and gloom the whole time. Now switch to Rod. All right, let's go see what Rod's doing. And Rod's trying to, <laughs> Rod's trying to describe the plot to the DEA or whoever that was. And they're just like, hold on a second. Then he sent me some weird pitch. And I'm like, oh, man, that's Andre Hayesworth. This dude been missing for six months, right? So I do all my research, you know, because as a TSA agent, you know, you guys are detectives. I got the same training, you know. I mean, we might know more than y'all sometimes, you know, because we dealing with some terrorist shit. So but that, that's a totally different story. So, look, I go do my, 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 my detective work, right? And I start putting pieces together. And see, this is what I came up with. They're probably abducting black people, brainwashing them, and making them slaves, or sex slaves, not just regular slaves, but sex slaves and shit. See, I don't know if it's the hypnosis that's making them slaves or whatnot, but all I know is they already got two brothers we know, and it could be a whole bunch of brothers they got already. What's the next move? <laughs> 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 and don't ever, ever say that I don't do nothing for you. <laughs> 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 
Oh, oh, white girl. Oh, they get you every time. Oh. <laughs> look at this shit. Hey, nigga. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, look at this shit. <laughs> the, the way he lead out later in the movie is hilarious. But, um... Lil Rel. You got a nigga named Lil Rel as your comic relief? This is gonna be a fucking field day. But... Uh, and, the car, and then we switch to the car scene. So the car scene is where the disgust for cigarettes is established. Which, like, she yeah, throws his cigarette. I'm dropping the song again, so you know. Perfect. Because that, that was brilliant. But the disgust for cigarettes is set up, and it's like... When you first see it, it's obvious that as young people, young people really don't smoke cigarettes like that as much. And when you do... Yeah. We look at you like you're fucking crazy. It's like you just gonna take cancer to the face like that. Style. Right. You just, you're just taking cancer to the face like that. Fuck. But the subtext after you watch the movie a couple times, I think. Well, yeah, I'll save that for later. I'll save it for the yeah, next time cigarettes comes up. But and then that's when, that's like we said we introduce Rod, and Rod is going to be our fourth wall comic relief character. He straight up was saying, "Why are you going up there?" He's like, the, "He's the voice for the movie and the voice for the audience." It's like, yeah. "Why you going to a white woman's house? A white woman's parents' house?" Yeah, her parents don't know you black. And the black audience is like, "Exactly." Yeah, everybody's just like, "Fuck yeah, okay, okay, okay." And, but the thing is, it's played comically, so you know you can dismiss it. But it's like, there's a bit of truth in it, so. Chris and Chris is like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. He's like, what you doing, licking your balls? I'm like, all right, all right, enough. That's good. All right, all right, all right. Get your own girl. <laughs> but then he was setting shit up from the beginning too, with the, the all being flirtatious through the phone. Everything he is was set setting up. shit up. Everything is set up and paid off. Little shit up. Let me talk to him. I would like to talk to him. Is it, yeah, is we was all like, bitch. I didn't understand it, but then when she played it for like comedy, it was like, oh, they're just that type of cool. Because, you know, Rod's probably the third wheel all the time in that relationship. Oh, so they're just that type of cool where she's like, yeah, this is all just a ploy to get to you. And it's like, oh, it's no. That, say, uh, oh, no. That, that bitch, be careful, Rod. That bitch mean that shit. <laughs> well, I know we was all thinking it. I was like, bitch. I, I didn't catch on to that after I seen the movie. I'm like, he might be slowly trying to recruit cuz next. Who knows? Tell me. But we'll save it. Um, and then the deer flies across the stream. It just uh, shocked. I, I took something from that. I it don't was, know why, but it, I it, was, it was Scarface level shocking because it just happens out of nowhere. But it, it isn't. It doesn't overstay his welcome. Like in Scarface, the shock overstays his welcome. And are, is a necessary plot beat with this. It just sets up Chris's uh, helpless savior uh, characterization, where he's watching, where the deer flew across the street and hit the car, and it's assumed to be dead. Rose says it probably ran away. Who knows? But then you hear it, and it's like, oh. And Chris can't help himself but go check to see if it's okay. And this is a setup for something that gets fleshed out further later. Yeah, I got a metaphor from that too. Yeah, later in the movie, but he watches it, and he's just sitting there helplessly watching it die as he can't really do nothing. It's, and then when we switch back to the next, and we see Chris is still visibly shooken by this deer. He had no way of doing anything. He wasn't even driving the car, so it wasn't even his fault. He's shaken up by the fact he couldn't help the deer. And I felt like, um, let me say this. I felt like this is just, I don't know if it was just me out of anybody, but what I drew from that was 
he 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 found himself in ways as his story progresses in the movie. He found his own story in the dare because you know they always they always use the metaphor of when a dare is caught in headlights they can't move. Mm-hmm. They get blinded by that white light. I felt like that was so perfect for what this story is telling for Chris. Really? Mm. That's what. Yeah, I felt like I might have been the only person that took it there. I didn't think that. That's why I said I wanted to save it for further events because it'll get fleshed out eventually and I'll double back on it. But I guess I'll show my hand a little bit. I feel like this is like a a weird way um, for Chris, at least in, in terms of characterization, not just outside uh, inferencing. This reminded him of the situation with his mother. And I'll talk about that later. But I feel like that's what it kind of put him in that same mindset. Yeah. Character. In character, of course, not like my own head cannon, just in character. But the next thing after that is Rose, is the cop shows up and there's a debate around this scene because a you lot of like they knew why. Yeah, I'm gonna say a lot of people like to act like to act like um that Rose was trying to avoid having a paper trail toward the Armitage's house by having Chris on That was the argument. But she told Rod where they were going. Rod knew exactly where they were going. That was the case. Then they would have never told Rod if they didn't want to have any loose ends as to where they were going. So that doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, and, but granted, he didn't know where they were. Yeah, but Rose Armitage, I'm quite sure the Armitages have a big name. I agree. You say we're going to the Armitage. He even says it. He Eventually, he's like, they're at the Armitage's house. Is that place has some sort of reverence with... The community. You know, you got, you know the place means something is called an estate rather than a house. <laughs> right, right. And then you got to go drive to this place. You can't just stumble into it. So Yeah, no neighbors. So I don't, I don't really agree with that uh, debate that it was her trying to keep the paper trail short. What I think was, since the movie wants to tackle, like, liberal, I'm going to use liberal a lot, but liberal forms of racism, I feel like it was trying to juxtapose the overt racism that we actually know and are used to. Yeah, with the cops. Yeah, against the liberal race. Like, this cop is obviously being drummed up to be racist. Even though he doesn't do anything racist, he's being... He's playing the role of the racist white cop, essentially. Where he's checking the guys, the black guy's ID for the sake of doing it. Just to run his records to see if he might have a, a record. And Rose is like... Just to see how to carry it with you, yeah. Just, hey, what the fuck you got to do that for? He wasn't even driving. And... It is hot that she's defending her man because it's always sexy watching your girl stand up for you real quick. You know, the meme where it's like, when they get my order wrong at the restaurant and then the girl just turns into incredible hugs. Like, yeah, that's how that was in this movie where it's like, she's like, no, the fuck, you don't got to check his, his ID. And he, as black people, we know he's probably going to want to check his ID to see if he got something on his record. Of course. And you juxtapose the overt racism with the with the liberal. Like, hey, I'm on your side. You know, the racism that comes in the form of a helping hand. I'm not like that guy. You know, the racist over there. Which I, which to me makes it more insidious because we all can point out that kind of racism. When you disguise your racism with a helping hand, it's just a spit in the face to me. But yeah. I'll, I'll see that discussion for when we're, we're not talking about the plot. And the next one is they pull up to the house and <laughs> the thing I highlighted was my man because after this movie, I've never looked at a, a white person saying my man the same ever again. That burnt me, that burnt me up. That burnt me ever up. again. Hey, so you want to say nigga, don't you? What do you say? That's exactly what you want to say. He says, my man, 
47. He's my man every chance he get. Like We get it. We get it. I'm black. We all know. Right. You don't have to talk to me like that, cuz. <laughs> Let it go. I'm a person. But man, my name's Chris. Never what? Yeah, Chris. My name's Chris. Mr. Armitage. <laughs> 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 and then he starts talking about how deers are essentially like pests. You know what's funny, though? He's not lying. I know people that own farms. I know people that live on farms. And deers are fucking pests to farms. They come in, they just eat all the fucking crop and destroy the shit. And since, like, we live in America where the deer don't necessarily have a natural predator. We have, like, mountain lions and wolves and coyotes and shit here. Yeah, we'll eat them. Yeah, we'll eat, but they're not as popular as the deer. So they get to roam rampant through the motherfucking for, uh, farmland. And then people are like, these fucking deers, man, you know. Like he says, like, you know, when I see a dead deer on the side, I say, that's a start. And I'm like, oh, he just sounds like me. I like, oh, you, you're okay. All right. He just sounds like every farmer I know, especially when I spent some time in Edinburgh out there in corn country. You know. Oh, you. God. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're in corn country. <laughs> but uh, it's just more of Jordan, Jordan Peele's great characterization during the, uh, the introduction scene where they're just like, they're quirky, normal people. Like, they're awkward a little bit, so they feel believable. They aren't perfect caricatures. They aren't uh, too hammed up to be, you know, obviously feeling this. They're like quirky, normal people. The dad does a lot of weird dad jokes. And then the relationship... And the mom is just very stare at the nigga. <laughs> yeah, that is something. She is really staring at Chris. I was like, for the first time I saw that part, I was like, okay, they obviously care that I'm black. I think Can you the, get out my fucking face? The mom's always like, I think the mom's always been more creepy than anyone else. In the of movie. course, but the my thing, I literally when I was watching it with my girl, I kept like it was me. I was like, "Bitch, stop staring at me! You want some <laughs> I hate being staring at." Now the now, like uh, you said, the the overt feeling is like, all right, it obviously matters that Chris is black. But now, yeah, if you, hell yeah. You watched the movie before and you looking at the subtext, it's like, she's scouting. She's just staring at him to see, like, what's going what? on. Yeah, and then it just gets super fucking creepy. But, and they start tripping over each other. Like, when they're sitting down, she's like, we want to take the bags upstairs. She's like, but for the tour? I think that's what's want to take them around the crib? I was like, I think that's just quirky shit, though. Like, parent quirky shit. You know, couples disagree, just make them normal. No, think- for sure. I'm yeah. saying as far as Chris comfortability. Okay, okay, okay. Like Chris was trying to get out. Of the oh, I you see. You know what I'm saying? Get out the awkward situation they were trying to keep him in. Okay. Yeah, he already smoked cigarettes. That's fucking. Come on. Right, probably, I need a cigarette. Like. We'll get to cigarettes later because I want to do something with that. Um, oh, I already know. But, uh, fucking. So the quirkiness and they're like. We've been together four months, and so she's like five months. And he's like, she's right. Oh, she's right. And then the dad's like, that's exactly how we said it. I'm like, it's, it's, just, it's just, she's right. It's just funny, dad. Should dad, you know, relationship. She's like, are you saying that? And she's like, yeah. And he did something, and then the mom was like, no. And she's like, she's right. See, <laughs> and that is was like fun little quirky shit to make them all the more believable characters. And not an actual people, not just like I said, people you might actually know. These and that's because they're imperfectionate. They they have imperfections. They're awkward. You know, they're casual people. And what else? When and Jeremy uh, being yeah, a medical assistant to a picture, yeah. 
Jeremy being a medical assistant is set up here. Like I said, this movie's a master class and set up because it's like, you know, he's he's studying brain surgery. He wants to be just like his old man. Now, when you watch that again the second time, you're like, whoa, yeah, I see. But the first time, it's like, oh, the kid wants to be a doctor. You know, he wants to be just like his dad. Then you realize his dad is the, the evil doctor. I can't doctor. wait till we start talking. That's an ugly motherfucker, boy. Yeah. Yo, but. Just, I'm just saying the setups are done so casually you don't realize they're setups. It is. It's, it's kind of like, That whole scene is just like a master class in setup because it's like, you know, he had to seal up the basement because there was some black mold. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, everything give you anonymity because when he start describing him through, we don't even see Jeremy. Even no. in the picture. They don't show us. And that go back to us, you know, what we know from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, can we see? I'm sitting there like this. I'm trying to see, too. Plus, like I said, the setup, though, the setup, that setup, though. It was perfect. It was the perfect. setups are definitely perfect because they're so, like when I said with a Chekhov's gun, there's, a, there's Chekhov guns in here, but you want it to be subtle and you want it to be innocuous. You want it to be like a blink and you'll miss it type of thing, whereas it could be passed off as something casual, something that was just put in the movie to fluff it out. But like I always say, dialogue is supposed to do, especially with a movie that only an hour and 45 minutes, your dialogue has to do way more than just conversation. So this is setting up further plot events so that when it happens, it's justified and it's believable. And it has a certain level of subtext along with it with, like I said, the black mold. And um, when they walk in the kitchen and see Georgina, and it's like, you know, we like to keep a piece of our mother in here. And Georgina's right there. The first time, you don't realize it. Then the second time, you see, you watch the movie knowing the twist, and you're like, a piece of my mother. And then Georgina's just right there. That's when you start scratching your head, like, yeah. And then for me, it didn't click into the second time. Yeah. When I, when I re when I the movie, and I got to piece together all this shit. Because, like I said, people want to act like they knew. They knew. But when you get to piece together, and you have to the benefit of knowing the twist is like, oh shit, this is way more ominous than it actually was. And it, and I love it because it shows one, the movie respects your intelligence and it has V-play value and what else is my, you can tell this movie took 10 years to make because you don't get yeah. di- you don't get dialogue like that in two years. You don't get that, that level of subtext duality and set up all in one line and believability all in one line on the humbug. That's something that you cultivated for years. And this per- is something that you erased other ideas to come up with this. You know, how, how rappers be saying it, write your best rap, write your second best rap, tear all them shits up and do it again. That's what and you got. Do it again, yeah. That's what you got right there. I like and, to have the movie running as we talk. I mean, watching through it, so I know we go. <laughs> That's what I be doing on my computer. <laughs> I don't be, I ain't even peep that. Uh, Raw, uncut sausage be of me. But yeah, yes, <laughs> where I left off, like, we like to keep a piece of our mom there. And then they stumble into, uh, I think I skipped over something. Yeah, I did. Jesse Owens be Hitler. I skipped over that. And that's a very, very important that's step. very important. That's yes, very man. important because he's like, You're here to love this. My, my dad's claim to fame was beat by Jesse Owens in the qualifying round for the Berlin Olympics in 1936. Those are the ones where... Uh, Owens won in front of Hitler. Yeah, what a moment, what a moment. I mean, Hitler's up there with all his perfect Aryan race bullshit. This black dude comes along, proves him wrong in front of the entire world. Amazing. Tough break for your dad, though. Yeah. You almost got over it. <laughs> but 
you know, Owens beating Hitler is history. That's something that everyone knows. You can go bond over that. And he's like, and again, it's another example of overt racism being juxtaposed with liberal racism. It's like, we're not those guys. It's like, exactly. it's like Eric, Hitler's up there with all this arrogant race bullshit. And then Owens, this black guy, goes and beats him in front of the world. And he's like, yeah, and then he's sucks for your dad, huh? Chris, Chris is telling me because Chris chimes in. Now, Chris is the surrogate character. So, like I said before. Oh, hell yeah. Like I said before, you have to be very reactionary when you're a surrogate character. So Chris is essentially being the voice of the audience. It's like, yeah, but it sucks for your dad because you're you're a little too happy the black guy won at the mercy of your dad. And then uh, then he's like, what I like about this is how natural it is. We all know these white people, the ones that want to, they want to be with you in black pride, like they felt happy with you. The liberal lie. You what? You wasn't talking about this, nigga. The liberal it's just because I'm black. Exactly. Why are you so happy the black guy beat your dad? It's your dad. Uh, it's not even believable. Because I'm sure he was complaining for the last 80 years. He does. You almost, he almost got over it. <laughs> he went and started to coagula. <laughs> and I think that line right there is so ominously telling. Because you, he's like, yes, yes, yes it is. <laughs> and then they just move on. And then when you watch it again, you're like, oh, he set up all this because Jesse Owens beat yeah. his ass. <laughs> yeah. He took that to heart. Yeah, but uh, then we go out to the, uh, and then we talk about it, we leave a piece of my mother in the uh, in the kitchen with the scene with Georgina, and she's just there being a prop, being weird. And then um, they go outside, and they're the movie, Not that, but I'm not skipping that part, because there's some more setup going on. There's a natural conversation where they're outside, and they're, and they're looking at the beautiful yard, and this is like, then describing how they're in total seclusion because you know in the horror movie the isolation is the biggest part isolation and um claustrophobia like the biggest things you need to have you need to have it so no one's coming to help you and there's nowhere for you to go that's what you need in your horror movies and he aligns that up right there when he's like you know the closest neighbor is on the wake side so we're in total seclusion loving is casual like that's something you would tell somebody if they're visiting your house but it isn't dialed up to the point where it's like, oh, this is like the horror being set up of being alone with no one coming to save you. Exactly. And then the next thing you go on to say is, he like, I know exactly what you're thinking. The way it looks. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, by the way, I, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. Best president in my lifetime, hands down. I agree. Yeah. And when he says it, it's more cringy than I would ever imagine. It's like, oh my fucking god, I'm so tired of hearing that. How you know I even like Obama, guy? That's that's the I have a black friend, white person. You're only saying that because I'm black. You're like I would have voted that's for Obama. That's all it is. That's yeah. all it is. All right, spare me. Best president of my lifetime. Word, word, cool, cool. Was it? Oh uh, yeah, I actually think so. Yeah. Like my, no, I'm saying that's what they would yeah, say. Yeah, that's what you're thinking. But I think I'm like, going to look at you like, was it? Yeah, like, was it really? You were alive a lot longer than me. <laughs> yeah, not for us. Come on, yeah, you were alive when Kennedy was alive. I think Kennedy was a pretty was a pretty great president, bro. But, you know. Yeah, he lifetime, fucked with us. Yeah, our lifetime, it probably was. Thinking about it, yeah, definitely. I mean, our lifetime is different. It's both, both Bushes and Trump. Yeah, definitely. All right, then. Yeah, it's not a lot. Yeah. What is it? Daddy Bush, Bill Clinton, Baby Daddy Bush. 
baby, uh, baby Bush, then Obama twice, and now Biden. Trump, I'm not going to skip over Trump. Trump, and then now Biden. <clears throat> so, yeah, Obama, definitely best president of our lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, what was I about to say? Next. In that conversation about that, it goes to the same with the T. Yeah, the, in the spoon setup. Yeah, the yeah. All he says is a setup is Chekhov's gun. Because it's drawing, it's drawing up to the tapping. It's not the fact that she has spoons, the tapping that's drawn to her. It's, it's like, what does this mean? Why is we it paying attention? It catches his attention exactly. Like he and it's like, why are we paying attention to it? Because a spoon. A spoon's tapping. Something normal. Something that you would normally do. You know, you tap your spoon and the thing to shake the tea off and then. She, you gotta watch the movie and say that's a Chekhov's gun that will be fleshed out later. And to the movie's credit, it really makes you sit on it because it doesn't like remind you of tapping till it happens again. But it does it and it just does away with it. It's like, okay, have this in your mind and we'll revisit it later. You know, put a pin in it, be aware, and then we'll move on. Then the cup is like so, the cup and plate are so overly designed, you can't help but pay attention to it. it was like, it's loud as fuck, yeah. Who artwork on it's like, this is a very specific cup. You pull this, this ain't the cup you casually drink tea out of, you know, number one. You brought this out because you know the black person was coming. You wanted a, a colored cup. Just the flex. You wanted the flex real quick. We have. Fine, ch- oh, you keep beating me. <laughs> this, this grandma utensils. This ain't, this ain't no, number one tea mug. <laughs> This is my friend. I'm playing Chris Brown song right here too. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one I pull up with my friends who think they got money come out, and I go show them the porcelain. You lift the cup up, like look. With the plate, nobody <laughs> drink tea with a plate, bro. You got the you, plate. That's why I'm like, you holding it. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, man. Yeah, this was the hypnosis scene. Not the scene, but it's the setup for it. No, I'm saying they they literally talk about hypnosis. Oh, oh. now you can bring up cigarettes again. Yeah, the cigarette disgust and the way how he was talk, tapping his fingers. He right? was tapping his fingers real jittery, and you could tell something was upset. And he's like, "You're a he, smoker," he and they immediately came like, "You're a smoker, Chris." And then the look on the parents' face was just a look of straight disgust. And it's more than them, like. And it wasn't, be, and I don't think it was because they're obviously. They grew up in an era where cigarettes were advertised to them. So it's not because they have a, a disdain for cigarettes. It's because the cigarette can potentially corrupt the body, making you that less viable to a purchaser. And that's that's, that's all it was. That's why they really hated the cigarettes is because now you're you're basically toxifying your body. And now yeah, we you're shortening the lifespan of whoever we're going to put up in that thing. And we can't sell you knowing you're a cancer stick. It's like right. we're gonna right. we're gonna do away with that hypnosis. He said I was smoking for fifteen years and she loved every got last puff. <laughs> <laughs> he said I loved every last puff. <laughs> he was dragging it like that was heavy on my man statement. Yeah, he said, God damn it, I loved every last puff, but then I got with Missy and it was the sight of a cigarette. Yeah, I'm just one of those that's the white people discuss move. Yeah. But uh <laughs> He calls it a service we provide, and I think that's a little creepy because he very calls it yeah, like a service we provide. Yeah, you're trying to help people get into the body of this black man. The black, <laughs> the black man. That's going to be like, uh, turn my pages, bitch. Black. You know, the black man. 
The black man. A black man. <laughs> a black history book version. <laughs> but I think a uh, black man. The dose said it was kind of weird. Like if I was going to put out a flaw with the movie, how they did it was kind of weird because they were like, you know, hypnosis, and they just casually bring it up like that's something people like just regular shit like. And it's just like, man, I was like, no hypnosis. It's like, what, bro? And this is like real hand fisted. Like, it isn't natural as everything else to this point where it's like, you know, the black mold subtext. You, you don't understand, like, there's actual black people in there rotting away. You don't get that right. when he says black mold that had to get sealed away in the basement. But when they're like, it's hypnosis. And it's like, what, bro? You can't just drop that on somebody. Not in this, to this point, this movie's been real as hell. And now you're just talking about hypnosis. But then that, that was unnatural as fuck. Because, like, you know, black people like, but you ain't getting in this head. People, period. I'm not trying to hear your hypnosis. We grown. This, yeah, you want some weird shit. This weird. movie came out, what, 2018? It's 2018. You're not getting over on nobody. Exactly. <laughs> we could go YouTube hypnosis is fake right now. You feel me? <laughs> into, into the movie's credit, Chris goes in. He's like, yeah, that's bullshit, but I'll feed into it eventually. We can get to that and point. And then it's always been a well-known fact in history that black people aren't prone to thinking therapy works for us. Our PTSD can't be worked out in therapy according to black culture. Black oh. people always feel like they're too strong for that. So for them okay. to bring up hypnosis, that's jumping therapy. And we're right. going to get into your head. Now, you know, now I'm about to gaslight uh, you out of exactly no. with hypnosis. I'm about to trick you into thinking it didn't happen. That is something. Just, uh, my man Nari said is like black men in particular, not to just the black men. Yeah, the black men. Black men. <laughs> black men in particular, not, just, <laughs> not to like leave out the black women. Because black women are up on the therapy train. Like they would it. They like I'm gonna need to go talk to my flesh out my thoughts or whatever. And black hey, men. The are, younger ones are. I know black, a lot of older black women in our court. They do not fuck with the people talking to mm -hmm. them about their problems. And. Black men in particular are like really adversarial towards like, no, nah, I don't even want to get in touch with you. You do nothing. Yeah. We probably could do a better job of, you know, unpacking shit we dealt with. Even if it's something, yes. even if it's something as nuanced as like trans, transgenerational trauma, where it's like we have lasting effects of our forefathers embedded in us. Partly because the media puts its own fucking loop that we've been slaves before, which is why I don't like it's slave like movies. Like, we don't know that. Like that. Which is why I don't like slave movies. They just remind us over and over again what we've been with. Then you go on the news and see a black man getting gunned down every chance you get. And it's like, I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> or I don't want to see that shit. So, dialing up the transgenerational trauma. And I think we probably would be better served getting more therapy and unpacking our problems and whatnot. Definitely, right? I agree a thousand percent. It's very beneficial to those that are open to it. I feel like if you go into it feeling forced into it, it's not going to work because you're not really giving it a chance. Yeah, you're not immersing yourself into it. Like, um, like yeah, Life is all about optimism. You have to be open-minded. You have to believe something can work to give it a chance, and we don't. And um, not uh, not to call, compare it to magic, but like magic, you have to go in ready to believe what you're seeing is surreal. So with something mm -hmm. like you have to go in with the mindset, I want to be fixed in order for it to actually work. Um, <clears throat> not saying just go in there blindly with the therapist and let her pedal bullshit to you. Of course not. Do not be adversarial to it either. You know, think critically like we do here with our podcast. Just think your way through it. Like, Figure out what exactly is going on, unpack yourself. And I'm saying her, 
but obviously your therapist could be a man if you're more comfortable with a man. You know what I mean? Just if you feel like you're struggling or combating with something, just go it's talk. It's okay to seek help. It's okay. It doesn't even have to be your uh, a therapist. It could be some a friend. You know, reach out to your friends. Just unpack yourself. You don't have to care. Well, one thing I can speak on from experience of me doing therapy myself is it hit different to have somebody that's completely objective. Okay. When you're talking to a family or a friend, they have a reason to be impartial. Yep. Or I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. they have a reason to be biased. When you're talking to somebody that has nothing to gain from lying to you or making you feel better, they're going to tell you what the fuck it is. And it can be in the family and friends. I'm glad you brought that up. The family and friends can be biased in either direction. They That's be, very biased. They can have something to gain from just lying to you, making you feel better about yourself, um, enabling you. Is the term we're looking for. Or they can have something to gain from tearing you down. Right, tearing you down. They have some unfair to resent with you, so now they're... Exactly. Uh, if they can help you self-destruct, they will. They will, and they'll blame it on you, and they'll gaslight you into believing you did it to yourself. Exactly. So, like you said, there is some credit to getting a neutral observer. I like to... When I like to give advice, I like to act as if I'm a neutral observer. Now, obviously, people, when you experience someone, you have biases yourself. But because I try to care for them. But the benefit of the person coming to me for advice, I try my damnedest to not let that seep in. And I feel like I do a pretty good job when people tell me I give good advice. I'm not going to toot my own horn and say I do. But I feel like, you know what I'm saying, I do a good job of that. Same here. But when you, like you said, just reach out to someone to unpack. Shout out to Nari for putting that on wax on the podcast, even though he doesn't have his own yet. Shout out to him for putting that message out there. Back to the movie. <laughs> We're pretty much at the end of this scene, so we should probably talk about when she goes into her, like, awakening stage and she start overpouring the tea in Chris's cup. I'm glad you said it, because I was feeling like I was hearing my voice too much. But, like, I, the passenger and body set up where Georgina zones out, and they set it up to where the, uh, the conversation, which was once the dominant sound, becomes background noise, and we just get a zoom in on Georgina. It seems like she's spacing out. Or like yeah. whoever's inside of Georgine is starting to it's coming back. Is getting their agency a little bit because it doesn't fully it never actually fully happens for anyone other than like a brief second. But when it and you see like she zones out and the motor functions stop, so the cup keeps pouring and then it snaps back to normal. Well, I won't say normal, but then it snaps back to the grandma being in control of the body, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And my thing is. I didn't think what the mom said was rude. I thought it was demanding. Sure, I didn't think it was rude, and I want to like see what you got to say about it. Because when she was like, you know, maybe you should go down you and get should your go lay down. Yeah, maybe yeah. you should. And the dad was like, yeah, go do that. And I, I didn't think anything of it. Every time I see this, I don't think anything of it. I swear to God. I feel like um, I feel like the thing is one thing with black people. I can speak from my own my own opinion. You take everything wrong from white people. Everything okay. where they everything okay. is taken wrong. It's like okay. if I go, you should go sit down. Why the fuck I gotta sit down, nigga? That's that's how you feel. Don't tell me what to do. I ain't gonna fucking everything go back to that. But I felt like what for this particular scene since we talk about this, when Rose says her being so rude to Georgina, she they tried it like we always say they tried wait, it. Wait, wait, like I wanna stay on that for a bit. The, uh, I don't I don't think it's rude at all. 
Yeah, I didn't think it was rude, but like you said, it's coming from a white person, so it seems more... I hate different. I thought it was demanding, sure, but I didn't think it was rude or, like, unnatural, especially since this is somebody who works for y'all, and you're like, just go lay down. I know when I heard it, I was like, I don't want to fucking lay down. That's what I said in the movies. I didn't think, I didn't think anything. I was like, I don't need to lay down. And every time I heard it, I didn't think nothing of it. I'm just like, okay. And I, and then like he said, moving on to the next scene where Rose, mm, it's Rose. Well, first of all, we, George, uh, Jeremy comes home in this part as well. What's up, fam? <laughs> Looking like a fucking coked up Macaulay Culkin. Looking like a douchebag. This is a straight douche. That nigga look like Macaulay. You know what's funny? You definitely know a Jeremy too. <laughs> we all do. With the, he got the douchebag mustache. Right? He got the douchebag mustache. He got the douchebag get up. Everything about him. But it ain't privileged douche. It's just my like just straight up douche. It's just a douchebag. Like yeah, I wanted to take like, the spoon and shave that shit off his lips. <laughs> like it ain't my, it off, man. It ain't my, my dad's a lawyer douchebag. It's I'm a douchebag, but don't realize I'm a douche. Okay. Nah, sure. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's like, all right, all right, this guy. The, the insufferable guy. <laughs> but That's the dinner scene we're going to, actually. Yeah, that's next. So when you want to talk about we actually have to go to the dinner scene first. No, that's literally the next part. Yeah, I'm about to say we got to go to the dinner scene before we go to the Rose scene. Then the table is more just A-plus character creation and uh, not uh, not development because they're not developing. They're just establishing who they are as characters. And the mom is being the more concerned, quirky mom. The dad is being the corny dad. Like I said, Jeremy, he's being a douche, but it's like, you will be friends. People are friends with douches. You know your friends are douche. He's like, oh, he's pretty. You know? Yeah, we some of them the people. Yeah, it's like he's an asshole, but it's my guy. You know, Jer- Jerm- That's who Jeremy is. And then, uh, obviously, since Chris and uh, Rose have been around the whole movie, they're taking a backseat this time, and letting the other characters develop because you already know who Chris and Rose are a little bit at this point. Yeah. So the supporting actors, but and then what I put in is like the acting in this movie is is great. Like everyone. Acted. They played their role really, really well. It was really great acting, and um, yeah, Georgine, not Georgina. Jeremy starts telling the story of what happened uh, at the party. We were kids, and I think that was like really just fleshed out the characters more. And I feel like that was just like chef's kissing. Wow, it's just brilliant. yeah. That was giving them very. That was personalizing them. It was making them real tangible people. Yeah, like, and giving them their own stories and life experiences. They just well written. And they're not just evil for the sake of being evil characters. We like exactly. it's making the twist all that more better when it gets flipped on its head and like, oh shit. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. they've been relatively normal people. And then but Jordan Peele doesn't let you just breathe for too long because when the mom goes back to get the cake and Georgina is just standing there with the cake in her hand, it's like, oh shit. But if you'll blink, you'll miss it. So it's all the more better. Whereas, like, you have to be locked in and engaged to catch on to it. Yeah, they get, because that scene gets so intense so quick. And then it's, and, and then it disappears like that. Because you, and then it goes back, back to normalcy. And, uh, well, relatively normal. They, they like peeking that light where the movie is going so much. Like, even, even in the scene where they start talking about, he was like, uh, are you a fan of, uh, mixed martial arts. Uh, I don't, don't want to get it. I don't want to get a hit because I want to. Uh, we're gonna do a deep dive on where I was about to go because once they go snap back to the table from that creepy scene, and like I said, it goes back to relative normalcy. But 
they start doing uh, microaggressions. Now, microaggressions have already been displayed throughout the um, movie, you know, but like I said, my men are trying to bond over Obama and shit like that. Um, microaggression is a, is a term I have a problem with, though, because I feel like I understand why the term exists. And I don't, my problem with it is it allows people to call someone a bigot because microaggressions don't just exist in races and racism, but allow somebody to call someone a bigot without actual without credence. saying the word bigot. Yeah, without actual credence. So it just you know, it could be something that someone might just be doing out of general curiosity and shit. It's too yeah, ambiguous. Yeah, like they just talk it and you feel it instead it's of too, saying it. It's too ambiguous to be as damning as it is for people when you say not saying the term microaggression, but when you say someone is conducting a microaggression, that means they're subtly a racist. That's what is assumed when you say someone is, is performing microaggressions. But my problem with microaggressions arise when the fact that the stuff that y'all, that people are considering microaggressions are so subtle or so minute, they might generally be normal conversation things like, what's your sport? No. But it's a, all about who it's coming from. Who was coming from, how it was delivered, and what we know. That's now, why it's microaggression. Obviously, it's a microaggression from the Armitages because we know they're classic. Of but, of but in a general conversation between dudes, someone's going to ask, what sport do you play? Because men play sports, not because of... Not the white and black thing. Not because you're a nigga. I know you play sports. I assume you play sports because you're... Yeah. Yeah. That's, just, that's just something dudes say to each other, but something like, what's your sport coming from a white man can be taken as a microaggression. And that's just my it's wrong. I'm telling you. And that's my problem with the term is that it's too ambiguous for it to be to for it to have as damning of a track record as it does, where you can basically call someone a racist without them actually doing anything racist by saying they're just using a bunch of microaggressions to mask. And it's like, bro, how much of a persecuted person are you? Where you feel like everyone in the world is just out to get you, and you're just jaded by racism. Where I think um I, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I grew up black woman in a black household, offended by black women. Then when I went with my dad, it was more black women. And to that point, I've only been exposed to black women. So when I go to, I think this is telling because my middle school, in my opinion, was perfectly integrated. Whereas like there's a perfect balance of every race race you will ever find, from the staff to the kids. So for me, I don't I don't have like. An impressionable kid, I don't have, like, I understand racism exists, and I understand how real it is, how poignant it is, because my mom did a good job of raising me and telling me my experience as a black person on this world and what lies ahead, my dad included, but was something, like, as an impressionable kid, I didn't ever actually have the direct experience of it, especially since my school, like I said, was perfectly integrated. So I would do weird kid shit, like touch the hair of people <laughs> who were Hispanic in ethnicity, and it's like, now that's a, obviously a now that's like a microaggression, but for me it was just kids shit doing curiosity like, oh your hair is straight without product. What the fuck? You is know this? I'm dropping that karate kid saying right here just because you said that. Can I touch your hair? Like, <laughs> <laughs> May I touch your hair? You want to touch my hair? Um. Sure. Now, I, I definitely agree. That was something that's like, it's a commonly accepted microaggression, but me at 10, I'm not doing it because I'm a closet racist. I'm doing it because I'm like, 
How how does, how does your straight hair feel? <laughs> now, yeah, because this this is completely different than what we've experienced. Because I grew up the exact same way you did. I was raised by black women, and growing up in the neighborhoods I grew up in, it was always predominantly black people or exactly. poor people. Exactly. So to go to school, I went to school in Albany for middle school. For me to get around these people that not everybody's doing as bad as I was. I'm just going to cousin say. Now, cousin said people were doing as bad as I was, but it's a cultural melting pot where it's black people, it's poor black people, it's poor Rican people, it's poor it's Chinese. Poor everybody for you. I'm tired of this, man. I'm sick of worrying about lit cars. I'm sick of worrying about the government. I can't eat. I'm broke, nigga. I'm broke. We're all, and there's a bunch of us. It ain't just like, obviously, there's pockets where, you know, there's the black neighborhoods and there's the Spanish neighborhoods and kids. But for the most part, it's a melting pot of people. And, uh, and then I went to a magnet school. So it wasn't like, it was just in the neighborhoods being thrown together. It was smart, relatively smart kids being thrown, not thrown, but applying to get there. I went to Conwell. It's probably going to oh, shit. Okay. I must say it probably it probably going to shit now, but when I went there, it still had a a relatively good reputation. I haven't checked on it since. <laughs> that was a good ten years ago now. Exactly, fuck ten years ago. How how old was I? That's like thirteen, fifteen years ago now. <laughs> nah, middle school shit. We were getting out of eighth grade, twenty eleven. I did, yeah, did get out of eighth grade, twenty eleven. But I was talking about when I went there because I wasn't touching motherfuckers here by the time I graduated. But that was just something sure. that was just something fucking nine, ten year old me was doing because I was a weird kid, not because of a microaggression. We're on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, let's uh hop back. Yeah, back to the movie. And what I said, where we left all that. What's your sport and that that led us down the tangent of uh, why I don't like the term microaggression. But then Jeremy delivers his uh, the first creep show where he starts getting really weird about MMA. Judo. <laughs> with your frame and your genetic makeup, if you really pushed your body, and I mean really trained, you know, no pussyfooting around, you'd be a fucking beast. Okay, he started popping his shit. And that's when it, the microaggression becomes an actual aggression of racism where he's just like, what's your frame, your genetic yeah, genetics. Now say you wouldn't have took that wrong, my genetics. That's definitely racist. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You'll be a beast. <laughs> You'll be a beast. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, what? Everyone's there like, oh, God. Everyone, and then to the movie's credit, even the parents are like, oh, God, they're not really. He's like, he's I love one. how he was hiding the agendas with those characters right there. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, my God, Jeremy's being a weirdo. Don't take it there. Don't take it there, McCarthy. Don't do it. And then the mom's like, no karate at the table. He's like, it's not karate, mom. It's not karate. <laughs> what he was like, he said, you mean like UFC? Yeah, and, Chris, he's def- and the Zoom came back like, yeah. Exactly. And I think, I think to Chris's credit, he's someone. His characterization is what also helps brush off the, I won't say the more casual racism, so it gets dispelled as quirkiness. Because if Chris was just like, oh, you saying that because I'm black, that'll put everybody in on it. But Chris is like, he's kind of into it, like, this is like normal racism I deal with, but maybe they're not racist and just don't know what they're doing. Right, and this is what he expected. Exactly, and this is why I describe with microaggressions, like, you just don't know what you're doing. So maybe they're not actually racist, they're just ignorant. So it's like, you mean like UFC? He's like, 
Yes. Exactly. The zoom. Ew. <laughs> and he starts, he starts looking like the cat from Courage the Cowardly Dog. The cat. The zoom. When he was standing in the street. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or the at the hotel. <laughs> Courage is underrated. Courage is underrated. Or he starts looking like no. He doesn't look like the cat. He looks like the barber guy that wants to cut Courage's hair. Mouth was open all wide and shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, oh, for real. then Jeremy gets up, walks around the table, and tries to put Chris in he a said, room. Let me try to show you something. I'd have fucked him right, bro. Don't don't but, do that. And then um, I, I was he said like, I have one rule. I don't I don't play fight with drunk people. And I then uh, Chris Chris feels into it because he's like, you know, I did judo in first grade. You should have seen judo. Uh, yeah, uh, right. I'll, I'll talk about martial arts for a little bit. Judo is an art form of prioritizing, like, your, it's a grappling martial art, but you're more so trying to get someone to the ground. It's like wrestling, but not Greco-Roman traditional wrestling. You're, like, taking the sleeves of someone's gi and finding ways to contort that to get their body to the ground. You know, a different, you know, various forms of grips and throws or whatever. But, like, what Jeremy said with jujitsu is more of, like, human chess, where I'm going to find a way to get you to submit without actually exerting as much force as I can. I'm going to use your body against you. So he goes up and he tries. And it's so like, let me show you something. Like he said, it doesn't require strength, which is probably why Jeremy practiced it so he can go take out people without having to. he's not genetically made to be able to overpower somebody and like Chris. Jeremy's a relatively frail guy, so he doesn't, yeah. I don't need to out-muscle you if I could just get you in a rear naked choke or, you know, break your wrist with an Americana. But Exactly. He goes and tries to rear naked choke, and he's just like, I don't play fight with drug dudes. And everyone's like, stop. And then I think it's telling the mom's like, Jeremy, sit down. <laughs> it's like, and then he's like, I wasn't going to hurt him. And then you get like, and then the mom's doing that, that bewitching shit. I don't know how else to describe how her, because it, it pops out subtly, where like you can tell it like, does. her commanding voice that sets up for further events, but it's like, oh shit. The mom is like the Black Widow, for lack of a better term. Like, she's the one that makes shit. Move she up. make the calls, yeah. yeah. And it's like, sit. It's like, oh. <laughs> and plus, the, the way that they framed it, I liked it because as the scene got more intense with the the conversation about sports, they was like, uh, Jeremy, why don't you let somebody else have the floor? He's like, y'all had all day. He's like, y'all had all day to get to know him. This guy's dating my sister. I can't ask some questions. That's then a, we already get the, we get the vibe like, oh, you got a problem. But that's a regular brother type thing. Of it was course, just, but I'm saying it's perceived different from what's going on. The creep factor was drummed up. It's weird as shit. You drummed. It was, it was these my, candles. Especially since it was coming after microaggressions. Like, well, how far are you willing to go? That's my point. He's <laughs> like, these guys, they and my sister, we all like. That's some regular brother shit, though. He's like, he, they and my sister, at least let me go talk. I ain't going to go put somebody, they and my sister, in the rear naked choke. That's a bit They're much. They're not going to let you. That's drum. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that ain't about letting me. <laughs> ain't like you gonna be able to stop me about winning. <laughs> I smacked the back of his head like I wasn't gonna hurt his little bitch ass. Gotta kiss him on the <laughs> like Sunny. Just a scared, scared little chocolate bitch. <laughs> Melvin did Jody. <laughs> Get off me! Get off me! <laughs> No, this nigga said, Mama! <laughs> <laughs> Kiss 
Just that nigga on the wall for your mama. Kiss that nigga on the just a scared little chocolate bitch. <laughs> All the inmate came out of Melvin that scene. We should put that scene in. You scared little chocolate bitch. <laughs> he licked the back of his head. Yeah, hey. ass man. <laughs> Mom. That's right. That's right. Call for your mama. I stayed off your ass out of respect for that woman. But if it wasn't for your mama, I would have broke your little ass down a long time ago. Jody? Little Jody? You know what I see when I look in your eyes? I see a scared little chocolate bitch. Fuck up on me. That's what I see. If we was on lockdown, I'd make you get on your knees and fix it. 20 years, Jody. Let's see where you be 20 years from now. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? That's where it crept out of every bit of inmate popped out of Melvin then. Yo, did it? Bro, <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be good. But, uh, so yeah, after Jeremy's creep show, we go to Rose's. They're in the room, and Rose is in her boy shorts, uh, brushing her teeth. Hello, shit. And Chris is just sitting there because it's like, this is what you expect. This is like regular racism people deal with, black people deal with all the time where it's like, it's not quite racism. It's more so ignorance than anything, but it's ignorance based in race. So it gets lumped in with racism that like, the they don't know any better racism. So let's educate. Exactly. And I think that's what we're going to try and do with our Black History Month rollout. We're going to try and educate in a bit to to the best of our abilities, of course, why these things are problematic or our problems with things, so we can positively impact the uh, discussion and co and culture, not just you know white man bad, be better people to like one thing I can honestly say a lot of things about movies when you got families like this, like the Armitages, Armitage is that how they call it? Armitage, um, <laughs> Armitages. Armitage, the Armitage. So I did say it right. Yeah, I'm just fucking with you. Got you, the niggas like uh, octopus, the Armitage. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so a lot of these families that grew up like well off, right? Yeah. Well, white white families be, they be growing up like this. It's not mm-hmm. normally too many. Yeah, it's like it's not normally too many black families around. Mm-hmm. So everything that they know about black people or what they think comes from what you see on TV or movies and how they portray us. So for them to get around, for you to get around actual black people and they're not the stereotype, you kind of don't know how to talk to them. You don't know how to talk to them. Yeah, you take everything based off of what you've seen. And I put that down in my notes where it's like, they come the awkwardness comes up like they're not actually social. They just don't know. They don't know. And it's really prevalent with Georgina and Walter's character where it's like, these are the grandparents trying to talk to a black person. They have no idea what to do. But we'll, they standing there like this is. We'll, we'll we'll get to that later. Cause like Jordan Peele, there will be some comedy in it. At least I found some comedy in this motherfucker. No, I did. You <laughs> already made some. <laughs> but I'd be damned if I let a nigga in a sweater vest choke me out. Yeah, and then you got the fucking collar. Then you got the collar poking on top of your sweater vest like you Fred. Dirty ass. Like you Fred from Scooby-Doo. It's your nice. <laughs> All you needed was an ascot and it have been look. And I'm going to talk about that nigga choke when it come up. Because like I said, I do, I've been practicing jujitsu for like a year now. That was a terrible fucking choke. And I 
explain why later. <laughs> but what am I about to say? The social commentary of that scene is Rose is spelling out all the racism that any passerby in the movie might have missed when she's just outlining and then she juxtaposes it with the how are they any different from the cop? And Jordan Peele says he struggled with that scene a lot because when he was making it, originally it was going to be Chris doing the ranting. The rant. But he said if Chris would have done it, it would have immediately put people on to the fix. And he was thinking, how could I, you know, keep all the shit off of uh, Rose? Because at this point, Rose has been a brilliant character. And she seems very, uh, you know, progress, liberal, yay. She seems very like that much. So he said, what if I just have it to where Rose is pointing out all the racism and Chris is like, you know, it's really fine. It's not that. I told you. <laughs> right. It's not that big of a deal. I, I deal with this all the time. They just don't know any better. And that's when Rose drops the big question. It's like, how are they any different than the cop? Now, if you weren't already thinking that, now that's in your head. It's like, well, how is that rebel? How is this racism much better than the overt racism people deal with? Yep. We get a stereotype to get bumped in with everybody. Stereotypes, you know, weird microaggressions, shit like shit that we've all seen and experienced in one way or another. And it's like, how is that any better than, you know, being targeted because I'm black from the police? It is does it make does it make it all the more is it more comforting? Sure. Is it is it not as offensive? Sure, but is it any better? Fuck no. Not even a little bit. Right, and ideally you want to live in a world where that isn't a problem, but does not. Because it shouldn't be a fucking problem. It shouldn't be, but it's not realistic when, like how you said, affluent people that don't have to interact with regular, everyday black people. Don't, don't know. Don't understand. So I think our job, that's when we come in, our job is to educate those idiots on to, A, this is not okay. Not demonize them, not, obviously, I call them an idiot, but not, you know, be gone, racist, and everything you have. Right. And you, no, that's not really productive. No, that's not going to. Race. Sometimes a misunderstanding ain't as blatant and racism as we say. Like we talk about with microaggression. Exactly. So, I feel like it would be better to serve you educate. Now, once, now once the education is done, and I'm not talking about the simple, you know, the catch-all. Google it. You should know. That not that shit. That's where it's shit. When you want to teach them person to person. When you actually want to have a conversation and dialogue with someone and explain to them why what they're doing is problematic or wrong. Once it goes beyond that, once they're fully aware of what they're doing and how it's wrong, then yeah, then you can let's go weed that motherfucker out of society. But now you're doing that shit on purpose. We need to purge you from society. But as far as going on the racism the racism white man bad witch hunt, which is more often than not More often than not, that shit is led by white people trying to get rid yeah, of Yes, it is. That's the one that insults me the most. Like, wait a minute. Why the fuck you so offended for me? You don't understand the black plight. Sit your ass down. Trying to be down so hard. What's really on your mind? White people heavy on the Stop disrespecting us. Wait, nigga, you white. <laughs> That's your people. And you try you try to co-op my plight to further your agenda. It's like, do you really care or do you just want the power for yourself? For real, because they heavy on the we deserve better. We're people too. We they, they heavy on the campaign for you. Really, you feel me? 
really offended on behalf of other people. Oh, they're upset. And it's like, it hurt them. They crying in the front lines. Kind of still all that moral, all that, that morality. Oh. It's like, bro, relax. It's cringy. You keep your... How, how white people get the news interviews at the Black Lives Matters march? <laughs> they want to be like, they just don't understand that we people. And I, I'm like, bro. What? If you don't get Tyrone on the camera? They single-handedly reinvented the white savior trope doing that shit. Like, I thought we was yeah. past that. You ain't got to save us. We, just stop fucking us over. We we are perfectly functioning people. I agree. More than capable of addressing racism when we see it. We don't need you on the... Your support is brilliant. What we do not need you to do is be offended and aggressive for us. We can handle our own business. But support us. Okay. By not getting in our way. Hell yeah. Uh, we, can, we can jump into the scene where they in bed now. Yeah, they in bed. And Chris, I think he like, because this is like normal ignorance, not quite, you know, offensive racism. And yeah, because she started apologizing. He's like, no. Right. What you apologize for? It's like, normal. This is normal shit. It's bad that we have to say like this form of racism is normal, but you know, he's like this is normal shit. But the way this nigga was looking at that door when she was asleep, he said, "Fuck yeah, I can have a cigarette." Like <laughs> <laughs> he was ecstatic. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the movie cuts to the pack of cigarettes too, and you see it, it's like. <laughs> 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 Nicotine. Oh. I was, I'm mad I don't know any commercials. <laughs> Yo, me neither because I would love to put it right here. I would love to just quote one right now. Bro, <laughs> <laughs> what? They just got. That, that, that shit did not help though because motherfuckers still smoking them, Joe. Uh, they have warning labels on the, the cartons that tell you <laughs> general <laughs> surgeon warning. They got warning labels. They got smear campaigns. What else they got? They, cigarettes like $20 a pack. They just do not matter. Motherfuckers like, I'm getting my ports. And, and then we'll... But what fucks me up, niggas not paying their rent. But, but they got money for two, three cards a, a day. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, you got a secret stash? I'm going to the Lucy business. A dollar a <laughs> Yo... I had two of my ears in <laughs> shirt pocket. Like, what you need, baby? Be the Lucy man at the gig. Just selling them to say, no, I don't smoke. Let me get my money back. With Chris, no, for real. A dollar out the window. That was a dollar right there. He said, that was a dollar you chose to spend on nicotine. That nigga turned right into Julius, didn't he? <laughs> I know you're not going to throw that away. Eat that. That's 30 cent worth of oatmeal. My father always knew what everything cost. That's a dollar nine cent in the trash. That's two dollars on fire. That's 49 cent of spilt milk dripping all over my table. Somebody gonna drink this milk. I'm sorry you ate the big piece of chicken. That was 89 cent worth of chicken. What, you didn't get enough to eat at school? Unplug that clock, boy. You can't tell time when you sleep. It's two cents an hour. <laughs> a dollar and 32 cent worth of cigarettes you just threw out my fucking window <laughs> 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 it counted literally but 
Right. Oh, he was waiting for that cigarette. Now we can talk about this shit. Right, We're getting into the movie this. now. All right, so after that, Chris goes for the walk, and that's when the movie starts dialing up the Georgina and Walter creep show. They start getting real creepy now. Walt, when he walks outside, Walter just sprinting at him. <laughs> biggest meme of 2017. The, big, the biggest meme ever. <laughs> just nigga. And then, and then bang, and then hit the the post though. Boom! Yo, right? <laughs> he was what well, fucked me up though. Check me out. When him running, he did not drop that cigarette. I don't give a fuck. Well, I can get tackled. This shit will be up in the air. You're not throwing out another dollar. I'm getting my smoke. <laughs> oh, this nigga was going. Boom! I was like, oh shit. And then bit the corner with the sharpness. It was like, what the hell? Yeah. Why, is, why is he running? Now, eventually, it's like, when you figure out it's the granddad, it. like he's, he's trying to beat Jesse Owens' time. Now, I'm not the greatest runner, but I know you ain't beating Jesse Owens' time running like that. <laughs> with this? <laughs> that just shows how <laughs> they don't get it. Jesse Owens ain't beat you because he was black, you fool. Jesse Owens beat you because he was better than you. Better than you, exactly. right? Simple and, and plain. Yeah, nothing to do with him being black. Man, you you probably in this slower, this slower, more lumbering body thinking because right. I'm, I'm faster. You idiot. <laughs> and this was just a strange scene because as soon as Walter pulled his shit on him, he turned around and looked in the window and see Georgina admiring that corny ass wig. Uh, I got a different interpretation of that. Well. Go ahead. Uh, I, we know, but yeah, go Before ahead. I get to the interpretation, it's a that's another <laughs> uh, Jordan Peele trope where in a Jordan Peele movie, you're going to see a woman looking at themselves in a, a mirror, some form of mirror, like it happened in Us with um, her name, the uh, the family that I'm was. I must say, Lupita. No, it wasn't Lupita. It was the white one. It was the white family, and they're uh, tethered. Was staring at herself in the mirror with the scissor. Oh yeah, talk about school. Yeah, like really loving herself then, out of but oblivious to everything. The oblivious to the fact that you're looking in the window, so people can see you. <laughs> you just that stuck in your own uh, vanity. Your that own you, bubble, yeah. Your own vanity that you lusting over yourself in the mirror, and I think lust is a great word that I did on accident because the grandma is stuck in Georgina's body, fetishizing over being a black woman. Yeah, like she's in love with the features of being for you to be an older woman and you're skin not hanging all off of your ass and shit. It's not even just objectifying the black woman itself. It's like, yeah, I get to this beautiful black body. I wish sometimes I wish we was doing uh, <clears throat> visual aids because if I could put a picture, like the how, he, how he looked at this bitch. <laughs> there, like, that part was funny as shit to me. The fuck. <laughs> yeah, he was looking like, I ain't even get to smoke my cigarette. Fuck you. Man. I'll be back tomorrow. Hey, I'm fucking around, man. Cuz, I don't even want this shit no more. <laughs> you see, he tucked it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking around, man. And then he walks in the house, and the mom just real creepy. Boom. The so, lights came on. I'd have been like, what the fuck are you doing? The lights came on. I was like, you smoke, Chris. <laughs> I'm like, you know, damn. I'm like, well, no, I didn't get to smoke my fucking cigarette. What do you want? Like, oh man, you the real great, <laughs> a great parody movie. Your parody movies was still in style. Bro, no, I didn't get to smoke it, hood. This is it. You want one? 
<laughs> Shit. Like, I guarantee that mellow you up. <laughs> Yo, shut up. <laughs> Yo, bro, you know how hurt you got to be to walk in the crib with your hands in your hoodie pocket? He was walking by. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yo, go ahead and keep talking. Because <laughs> I know he was holding the cigarette in the hand. <laughs> yo, yo, chill out, bro. Cigarette probably all balled up. Cigarette probably all types of crushed up. You just did. Yo. Oh, shit. Go ahead and talk about the mom, yo. Alright, so the mom's doing her usual, like, ominous interrogation type scene. That's, that's when the movie, uh, I won't say it, it establishes what the spoon, the Chekhov's gun of the spoon, what it is. And it says that it's a focal point for the hypnosis that was set up earlier in the movie. Because they play it with the, like, the ridiculous nature of hypnosis. Like I said, this movie does a great job of when it spells out the plot. It, it lets you in, like, we know this is ridiculous, but come on, don't lose your immersion. We get it. And that's right. And that's how you keep audience immersion when the people in the movie, when the characters in the movie understand how ridiculous the shit sounds or how strange something is going on to help. Because now the audience isn't alienated. The audience is like, oh, so they get it too. Like, I'm not alone in this. So now I'm further invested. Yeah. When Chris is like, what, you going to wave a pocket watch in my face? And it's just like, you watch way too much TV. But sometimes we do use a focal point. Uh, insert the scene here. Do you realize how dangerous smoking is? Yeah. Come in and sit with me, please. Just for a little while. Please. Thank you. So you're comfortable enough, right? It's perfect, thanks. Sure. You want to know how it works? <laughs> you just dangle a pocket watch in front of people's faces, is that it? <laughs> you watch a lot of TV. <laughs> when I was a kid. Ah, uh, now you're feeling very sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> we do use focal points sometimes to guide someone into a state of heightened suggestibility. Heightened suggestibility. That's right. That's right. Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit, I promise. That's my kid. That is my kid. You understand? Heightened suggestibility, right? <laughs> Typical black responses. Heightened suggestibility, huh? That's what you call it. That's, that's what you call it. He already hurt because I didn't get my fucking cigarette. <laughs> already, I'm still man. irritated. I'm irritated. Man, I didn't get my cigarette. Now you trying to bullshit. Now you trying to bullshit. <laughs> Heightened suggestibility. Because I'm scratching the chair. He's like, Man, shit. That's, that's not yet. Right now, he had that, that look of bullshit. Like, I know bullshit when I hear it look on his face. And then it started. Oh, I can't wait till we do YouTube. And then it started working. <laughs> then he's just sitting there, stuck, glued to the couch, can't move. 
and like in movies and in uh, TV shows, a sign of weakness is the single eye crying. It's like I'm vulnerable right now. One eye is crying. <laughs> Denzel coined that shit. I don't give a fuck what nobody said. Hey. And I think, uh, motherfucking, I think Daniel Kaluuya was actually crying there because yeah, when you use saline. First of all, it'd be a real big well in the corner. It doesn't look like actual tears. It looks like water is welled up inside of your eye and it just runs down your face. But with this, his eyes was red and it looked like he was actually crying. So I'm like, that's why I was like, Gary Kluya is a great actor. If you can, that's like, For the, sure. if you can force yourself to cry, that's how you know you're great, great. This is what I think happened. I think they said, cut, this nigga put the timeout symbol. He said, come in here with the smell of so because he worked hard. He turned his body like this in the chair. And he was like, <laughs> They gave him the salt and he was trying to get it out. I feel like he was working for it. Somebody probably poked him. So ah. Oh, watch yeah. this. Oh, watch this. Somebody just came poked him in the eye real quick. Either that or somebody came off camera and broke the cigarette in his face. (laughs) (laughs) He was getting like, "Mm." that's a dollar. That's a dollar forty-five. You just (laughs) I'm down three dollars already. Y'all fucking (laughs) up. I ain't take one puff all weekend. Oh my god, (laughs) yo, we gonna keep bitch. (laughs) All right, but the hypnosis. This is when the hypnosis pay off is done because it shows that it works because when he starts talking about his mom he never actually wants to talk about his mom any other time prior to this in the movie but when he falls under the hypnosis he's just completely candid and even flashing back to that time where he was just sitting on the bed helpless watching his watching tv as he liked to describe it he didn't want to make the fact that his mom was dying real he didn't want to be real yeah and that's and the helplessness he felt that day <clears throat> That's what I was talking about earlier in the pod about the horse, <clears throat> the horse scene where, not the horse, the deer scene where he's helplessly watching the horse die and he can't do anything about it. And I feel like that reminded him of how he felt when his mom died. That same yeah. helplessness feeling where I'm just, I can't really do anything but watch. And then we find out further in the movie that's a lie, but uh, I'll say that when we get there because we're almost there. And then we get the sunken place set up. Where he's in, it. and then like when she's had enough, she's heard enough of your week, and she's like, "Sink." And please insert. He was like, "Wait, no, 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 no!" Please insert here. She's like, "Sink." Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Sink. That nigga was like, "I can't move. Why can't I move?" He's like, "Why can't I move?" He's like, "Now you're in the sunken place." Yeah, this was a great scene. I'm looking at it as you're yeah, saying it. I'm stuck real now because I'm thinking about it. I'm not looking at it, but I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> so he's just sitting there floating in space. And and that's, to me, that's a fate worse than death where you're not dead. You're just a passenger in your own you're body. You're a passenger in your own body. Yeah, that's like when, bullshit. Like when old people <laughs> have dementia and they don't realize anything or remember anything, but they're just there. Hell yeah. Kill and me. I think will fuck me up. The shade that she threw when she had him under the hypnosis. She was like, you know, you smoked that. That's my kid, Chris. That's, That's my, my kid. That's yeah, my... with that face, I was like, I know. It's just a cigarette. I didn't even smoke That's it. That's my kid. Don't don't be fucking up my kid. Like some mom, some That's shit exactly a mom would, what it was. Yeah, some shit a mom would say. So again, that's great characterization. Yeah, they humanized her. 
Yeah, like I said, there's some creepy undertones, but for the most part, you dismiss it because they seem like normal people. You would know these people until... And then, like, the the, the, the lady from 40-Year-Old Virgin can't be evil. She <laughs> dealt with Steve Carell bullshit for three hours. Like. Then, uh, who was I about to say? And even to this movie credit, even after the sunken place set up, it doesn't go right back. It doesn't go to being creepy. It's like, no, you're going to wait for this. He's going to be real yeah. You're going to wait. <laughs> but because after the sunken place, where he tells him, you're in the sunken place. After that, he wakes up and his phone is unplugged, which is a setup for further events. Again, his phone being unplugged now is a setup because it's something casual. There's something you might, like, he, maybe he just forgot to plug his phone up. All right? That's yeah, of course. But, and then he plugs it back in or whatever. And the scene after that is the, uh, when all the people pull up. Yeah, the next scene, they come up, he, he in the woods with the camera. I want to get right here. I want to, uh, because beforehand, Georgina, it looks like she's fetishizing herself again. But given what we know, because of how she was checking the wig, or I assume it's a wig, I don't know, how she was checking the wig, it looks like she was trying to see if the scar was covered. You talk about <clears throat> if we go back to before the hypnosis scene? No, afterwards. When, uh, right no, because when, when he wake up in the bed and plug his phone in, it literally go to him with the camera. In the woods, and he's panning, and he sees Georgina. He's seeing the people. Yeah, yeah. And you see Georgina fixing her hair. And given what we know about the movie, I want, I think she's trying to see if the scar is visible. You know what I'm saying? The yeah, scar yeah. her being cut open. And Walter, then it goes to Walter, and he's like, he tries to talk to Walter, and Walter's like, Walter is so poorly socialized. It's terrible. It just hurts at this point. And then we know that's like some 80-year-old white man in the body of a black person trying to relate to a black yeah. person. And he's like, <clears throat> he's using old-ass words. He's not even talking normal. <laughs> he says she's such a swell girl. He's trying so hard to act black, to act normal and throw off the scent. It puts you, it, it makes it so creepy. And then that motherfucker starts quoting the Yin Yang Twins, a uh, dime. Real top of the line. I'm looking for a dime. That's top of the line. Two face, little waist with a big behind. <laughs> yeah, we was like. Waist with a. It's like, what? Worst shit. Cut it out. The Yin Yang Twins like, oh, 15 years ago. <laughs> facts. Because that was Chris' attempt at kind of like trying to make sense of what the fuck you felt like was a dream. He walked over yeah. to him like, hey, man, I ain't really get to talk to you. And then he's like, no, I hope I didn't scare you with my exercise. And then the exercise is how he you. Was Exercise is how the well uh, on a second viewing when he calls it exercise is how you know he's trying to beat Jesse Owens this time, but then, but you know people run so when he's like my exercise like okay people run all right you run in the middle of the night okay whatever but I think Chris is like he's trying to like bond with more the the, iron, the irony like they're working you good out here ain't they you know shit Blake that's what I'm saying he wanted to make sense of him or the fact that you just hear. Cutting logs in the corner. Like, they working you good out here, ain't they? He talking about nothing that I don't want to be doing. Nothing I don't want to be doing. Like, hey, I'm not. <laughs> this is a black person that wants to be here. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, like, what? Like, bro, what? You're weird. Stop being weird. <laughs> That's all I was thinking. Like, yeah, no. Like, he's trying so hard to be a black person that he doesn't realize how cringy it's coming off. <laughs> After that is just them showing off the nigga throughout the scene, basically 
with that scene is where it's a bunch, they go meet the various white families. Oh, not various white families, because I, I don't want to keep using that term, but the various families that showed up to this dinner, and they just like... <clears throat> really They're dry. making such a museum exhibit of him. How other, to use a word coined by Toni Morrison, how other Chris feels in that environment where it's like all the racist innuendos and one chicken there. It's like, is it better with a black person? I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> but before you get a hit, um, I don't know. I, right now, definitely cut this part out. What I'm about to say right now, but I feel like if you can couple together all this, all the snippets of the racist indie windows, because that's what's going on throughout this. But uh, I do know Tiger. That's great. Super. Gordon loves Tiger. How handsome is he? Not bad. Hey, Nielsen. So, is it true? Is it better? Wow. 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 Fairer skin has been in favor for the past, what, couple of hundreds of years? But now the pendulum is swung back. Black is in fashion. Pardon me, I'm going to take some pictures. When they're trying to bond with Chris and they're trying to normalize themselves to Chris, it's, um, they're using... It's a montage of microaggressions. <laughs> using racist microaggressions to bond with this yeah. It's like, I know Tiger or some shit. Is it better with the black? And what else was it? Black is in style. Now. All that shit is like, bro, what the fuck? They was on some weird shit. They was on some weird and, I think on first viewing, that's what you get. You get the microaggressions, you get the racist innuendos. But upon second viewing and shit like that, you get the subtext of knowing they're doing this because they're scouting you, Chris. They want to know everything they need to know about being black before they go invest however much money they wanted to in your body. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hell yeah. And that's what I'm saying. They're making a museum exhibit of him. They're checking yeah. out the specimen. Othering. That's I love that how Toni Morrison puts it. Or American author Toni Morrison, please be her work. But uh, when the when the chick that was like, is it actually better with a black guy? She's checking him out. The husband's there and he's all giddy. But you can tell he's he in the, a wheelchair and shit. You can tell he's on the verge of dying. She's just like feeling his his muscles and shit to see. Him. It's like obviously that's weird and creepy. Just all on on GP. It's like what the fuck. But yeah, like what kind of weird cuckold porn shit then, is this? But then it goes up another level when you realize she wanted to put her husband in your body. It's like, oh my fucking god, this yeah. is just insane. Yeah. And then the the fat black the fat boy is just like, uh, black I'm is. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you. <laughs> <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> The, uh, not the fat black, the fat white guy is just like, you know, black is in now. You know, white has been hot for so long, but now black is in. It's like, bro, yeah, what? Style. My skin is in style. What the fuck are you talking about, bro? Yeah, they burnt <laughs> me out. And then he sees Andre. Then the golfer is like, I know Tiger as if we could just bond over Tiger Woods. Black people don't watch no fucking golf. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't even trying to say I know Tiger. He was on some shit like trying to make him feel like they people is important. Tiger's the best I ever seen. Yeah, like we, just, like, we cool off Tiger. I don't even like Tiger. Okay. Tiger ain't who even fuck, Yeah, who watches golf? Tiger ain't even one of us. Fuck out of here. Honestly, honestly. But, uh, what's up? <clears throat> oh, yeah, and then he meets uh, Andre Hayworth. 
who is now this white gentleman. <laughs> I don't know why that's not like a baseball player. This nigga named Andre King, I think. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And then, uh, who's about to say? How am I going to describe fucking Andre? He tries to talk. Yeah, it looks definitely is. Slave. You got on a fucking straw hat. It looks like a house slave. <laughs> the straw hat that fucking Daffy Duck used to wear when he was tap dancing. <laughs> God damn, them cartoons were so racist. <laughs> but he's sitting there, he's got the straw hat on and he's like parading his body. Yeah, he like walking around with the hands in the pocket and shit like parading in this new like Miss New Body and Bubba Sparks. <laughs> Then you try to talk to him, but he again, this is an old white person in the body of a black person, so he doesn't really know how to, you know, be fucking socialized. Black. It's not, yeah, socialized. I said that earlier. That's a great word to use it. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't probably socialize as a black person. So it's just, it looks like a white person trying to talk black. <laughs> an old white person trying yeah. to talk black. And then, and then the old white woman comes over there and kind of like stifles it because yeah. she recognized that he's saying irregularities in a black conversation. I don't even think it's that. So she's kind of like, yeah, we're going to get away from it. Yeah, we, hey, come here, you. You don't know what you're doing. And then he goes over there and that motherfucker... Well, he reached out for a pal. And he gave him it. a handshake. And then he goes over to a group of white people. He's spinning in circles. Now it's like, fuck is you doing for these white people? That's what I said the first time I seen it. But now that I know this is a white man and a black person, <laughs> now there's a white man and a black person, I was like, oh, he's showing that it works to these people. Real shit. I would have just been in my head like, I guess he got his cigarette. He called me shit. <laughs> God damn. Hey. Oh, yeah. He was like, Chris was like, he was trying to bond with him on some regular brochures. Like, hey, it's good to see another brother here. And he's like, Chris was just telling my yes. my being here made him all the more comfortable. He's like, bro, what the fuck? Why? First of all, even if I did say, why would you, you tell red. Why would you tell her that, you weirdo? <laughs> and <laughs> I think, um, the next person we come to is an archaeologist. But, but that's when uh, it hit home for me that Chris was a, a surrogate character. I feel like would never happen when it was, it, that's when it really hit home. Like, oh, he's definitely like the audience interpret of what's going on here. Because that's just how he was reacting. Like I said, with a surrogate character, they have to be very reactionary or it won't work. Yeah. Hell yeah. They'll end up being a boring character. And Chris isn't a boring character by any means because he's very reactionary and he's very prominent in his own right. Like the plot happens in front of Chris, but Chris isn't an innocent bystander in the plot. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Until you get some agency, which happens at the end, which is why the end is so thrilling. But and I think the next scene is the art the art collector, but I think it's telling well not telling, but I think it was just brilliant, like framing that the one person who can see racism clear as day is the blind guy who literally, who literally can't see the color and he's like Ignorance. All of them. They mean well, but they have no idea what real people go through. Jim Hudson. Chris. I know who you are. I am an admirer of your work. You have a great eye. Wait. Jim Hudson? Hudson Galleries? Believe me, the irony of being a blind art dealer isn't lost on me. How'd you do it? My assistant. Describes the work to me in great detail. You've got something. The images you capture so brutal, so melancholic. It's powerful stuff, I think. 
Thank you. Hmm. In case someone isn't keeping up with what's going on, you know, you sometimes you just spell it out for me, especially when you have a social commentary movie. You have to, yeah. you have to atone for the fact that people really might not know what's going on. Like we said in the Scarface episode, where like people go to movies to be entertained, they're not always in on the zeitgeist, especially if they're not already a part of the affected culture. Yeah. So you, they spell it out for you. It's like ignorant. They mean well, but they have no idea what real people go through. Like we said earlier, they don't really know. So they're just trying to find any way to bind and latch on or talk to someone. I agree. And the art, and then they they have an actual genuine conversation. So it seems like some hope where they're talking about normal shit. They're talking about art. Art isn't inherently white or black. And they're talking about Chris's art in particular, binding on a natural level to where he feels like an ally. He feels like a friend, you know, somebody. Yeah, because he knows who you are. He's talking to you like a regular person. He isn't talking like a caricature of black people, like we see in the next fucking scene, which we'll get to. But <laughs> he's talking to you like a regular person. He's like, eh, I can't see the art, but my assistant describes it. You know, he's imperfect. He's blind, of course, a blind art dealer. He's like, spare me the the hilarity of being a blind art dealer. I know what's up. Like, but the I love, irony of that shit. Like, I love your work because it's it's not because a black person is creating images. I love your work because your work is great. You know what I'm saying? So it feels you have all, division. <laughs> division. All the more telling. Yeah, but hell yeah. And then the next thing is the payoff for the phone being unplugged again because this time it's unplugged again. It had to be seen it plugged in. And yeah. then then it's directly juxtaposed with Georgina popping up. It's like, but the way the world stopped when that man went up the stairs, yes. it, like it was. Just, everybody stopped and was yeah, like, "What is he doing? What he doing? <laughs> right, what's going on? Let's hear it. Let's see." Yo, everybody stopped. Like everything stopped. Even the conversations. Just, okay, I think it was doing the mannequin challenge before it popped up. Like they was doing some uh. You know, like how when you walk in the room and a bunch of people and they was talking about you and everybody quiet. Hell yeah. That's exactly how that scene played out. Whereas as soon as he went upstairs, he was like, is he on to us? (laughs) Real shit. But, uh, yeah, the payoff. Because at this point, he's super paranoid. Mm-hmm. Because he, he called Rose and they're like, come here, come here, come here. He on tilt. Because now these people aren't as friendly are as subtly racist as the Armitages. These are just blatantly racist They blatant. They will wear shit, yeah. And it isn't like, you know, get off my lawn, nigger. It ain't that kind of racism. It's the, oh, you just see me as a black thing. I'm not a black. I'm not a person that happens to be black. I'm a black person. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And... She's very dismissive of that. Yeah, that's when the scent starts to be uh, discharged rose. Yeah. Whereas... She's like, um, no, she isn't dismissive of the fact that they're racist. She dis- no, I'm saying she's dismissive of the fact that he thinks Georgina's unplugging his phone. She She's dismissive of, of the inconspicuous shit, and that's when the scent starts to be, that's when you start to be susceptible to her, because it's like, oh, so you're just so sexy that people are just unplugging your phone. I think you're doing right. He's like, you know what, you know what, fuck it. No, I don't even know why I tried. Now, that's drummed up as like typical couple shit, because it's like, because Chris can't really describe why his phone is being unplugged. And to that point, you as the audience don't know why his phone is being unplugged either. Now, on second view, as you know, if his phone's being unplugged, they don't want him having any connection to the outside world to call for help. Yeah. But the first time going around, you're like, why is this phone keep being unplugged? What the fuck is this about? And then Georgina's is like, Georgina's definitely unplugging his phone, but why? And it's like, maybe they don't want us together. And Chris says that. And it's like, yeah, that's probably what it is. And then Rose is like, really? 
you think it's that deep. She don't want us together that deep at all. Right. You know, uh, the Walter scene, the Walter scene is just funny shit when he's trying to tell her, uh, I think Walter might want you. Because the nigga called it the Ying Yang twins. You don't say that about your fucking, <laughs> your, your, somebody you live with, and she's like, you think I got a chance? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hear that shit, you're like, oh, you got jokes. Oh, you got jokes. And it's it's played up like regular couples drama. Where it's like, at this point, you might be overreacting, Chris. I think you're tripping. Right. <laughs> but, and to the audience, you know something where it's going on, but you can't describe it. So you can't follow on say, he's not in on the snuff. This is a natural reaction someone would have when you're trying to describe. And to, to her credit, Chris is doing a very bad job of describing what he's experiencing. I agree. And not to mention the fact that since he on tilt now, when he called Ryan. Well, they got you on display now, huh? It's weird, man. People here, too. It's like they haven't met a black person that doesn't work for them. Yep, you're in it. Oh, so shit. I even want to tell you. What? I got hypnotized last night. Nigga, get the fuck out of here. No, yo, yo, yeah, yeah, to quit smoking, but it's Rose's mom's and psychiatrist. Bruh, I don't care if the bitches are Yana Von Zant, okay? She can't fix my motherfucking life. You ain't getting in my head. I know she called me off guard, right? But it's cool because I'm cured. It worked. Bruh, how you not scared of this, man? Look, they could have made you do all types of stupid shit. They'd have you fucking barking like a dog, flying around like you're a fucking pigeon, looking ridiculous, okay? Or, I don't know if you know this, white people love making people sex slaves and shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not a kinky sex family, dog. Look, Jeffrey Dahmer was eating the shit out of niggas' heads, okay? But that was after he fucked the heads. Do you think they saw that shit coming? Hell no. Okay? They was coming over there like, oh, I guess I'm gonna just suck a little dick, maybe jiggle some balls and shit. No, they didn't get a chance to jiggle shit because their head was off their fucking body. Yeah, they still sucked the dick, but without their heads. It was fucking weird, detached head shit. You know, that's Jeffrey Dahmer business. And thanks for that image right there, man. Hey, man, I ain't making this shit up. I saw on a and man. It's real life. Yo, and it's the black people out here, too. It's like all in Mr. Movement. Because <laughs> they probably hypnotized. Uh-huh, Look, bruh, all I'm doing is connecting the dots. I'm taking what you presented to me, okay? I'm going to tell you this. I think that mom is putting everybody in a trench, and she's fucking the shit out of them. Thanks, Rod Black. Right. And Rod gave him, like, all of this outlandish shit that could be going on about the sex slaves and all of this shit. <laughs> I think his mom put me under hypnosis. He's like, shit, nigga, I told you. No yeah, exactly. And Rod is, like, Rod is like the person who talks about the whole scary movie. Yeah, that's exactly. exactly. That's exactly, exactly. who Rod is being right now. It's like, sex slave. And then he's like, the funny. Get the fuck out of there. The funny part is he's like, partially right. But you don't pick up on it on the first time. So it's like, come on, Rod. Really? That's what I'm saying. And I, I feel like every time he think he, he might be tripping because Rose is so confident. All right, baby, I'm, I'm adoring a lot. And right. Rod give him such out there shit. He's just like, yeah, I'm tripping because this yeah, nigga tripping. trying to be funny. You're, you're yeah, right. this nigga tripping, right. Yeah, you're being ridiculous. Sex slaves, come on now, bro. You dragging it. And Chris, like Chris spells it out if you didn't catch on to it. Like when we were talking about with uh, Lakeith Sanfield's character, where it's like, they haven't met a black person that doesn't work for them. It's just like, yeah, that's exactly what it seems like right going on right now. They're just talking, trying to be social, but they don't really know how to be. Exactly. And Chris is like, sexually. Not Chris, and Rod's like, sexually. <laughs> He's like, come on, nigga. Like, right. Before they get the conversation really underway, Georgina coming there, like you said. And like, 
Um, and then that's when uh, I wanted to like something called Pathos, uh, Bathos, where, like I said earlier, with the Marvel movies, where it'll be like, Bathos is when you undercut a serious mood or setting or tone with comedy. Yeah. Yep. And the movie doesn't do that because it doesn't shit on tension for the sake of comedy. After the tension has subsided, it gives you, like, like I said earlier, a palette swap. It gives you the comedy so you're not, you know, on edge and tense the whole movie, gripping your seat, upset and disturbed. It gives you, like, some comedy to, like, level yourself out. Like, all right, relax. This is still a fun movie. Like, you can still enjoy this movie. You don't have to be giving torture porn for an hour and 45 minutes. It's, it's, some, it's a movie at the end of the day, bro. Relax. Of course. And that's where Ryder comes in that, like we described. And when Georgina shows up to apologize, the passenger in the body effect is revealed again because as she's trying to talk, she just freezes when... The internal conflict start going on. The internal conflict drums up when Chris points out the fact that I get nervous around white people. And then that's when Georgina's like... I do something. And she just like... <laughs> and that's when the real Georgina is trying to come back and the mom... I can only imagine if she would have been able to poke through, she would have been like, nigga, you should be! Should be. Yeah. That's the next scene. <laughs> that's the next scene. But, uh, uh, the mom... Oh, yes, it is, right. The mom is like, I guess, on top of saying no to Chris... The mom is saying no to the ins ins Georgina inside. They're saying it back to each other. Like, no. 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 You will, no. Not, have this, you will not have this body. <laughs> just like, you gotta get your ass down. They in there rumbling. And then it goes back to the, you know, nothing I don't want to be doing. That shit is like, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. She's like, but I ain't want to snitch on you. And then she's like, she doesn't know what snitch means. It's just like. She was like, tattletale. Tattletale. It's like. Yeah, I, I suppose. Like, yeah. Let me go. I'm taking my phone. <laughs> you want some weird shit, bitch? You will not be playing with my phone again. My phone been on twelve for two days. You fucking right. playing with me? You talking about you bump my phone off? How you slip and fall it off the charger? Cut it out, man. Instead of messing it, messing with it further, I just left it as it was. You put it back next to the charger. I knew what you was doing. You ain't that old. Weird shit, exactly. <laughs> So then they go out, and it's the sh let's show my nigga scene, where it's like... Do you find the being African-American has more advantage or disadvantage? And every time I see it, I'm like, what the fuck kind of question is that? <laughs> right. His face was like this, like... Uh... Chris was like, is you serious? He said, like, matter of fact, look at this, this house nigga. Hey, hey, uh... Hey, bro. Hey, hey, yeah, come here. You so, in the straw hat, nigga. <laughs> like, Tell them about the black experience. Let me see what you gotta say. Coon. He was like, uh... yeah. Let me see what you gotta say, coon. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna get kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. But, uh, he was like, uh well, I can say my black experience for the most part. I find that the African American experience for me has been for the most part very good. Although, I find it difficult to go into detail as I haven't had much desire to leave the house in a while. <laughs> <laughs> We've become such homebodies. Yes, yes, yes. But even when you go into the city, I've just had no interest. The chores have become my sanctuary. 
Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! Yeah. Yo, chill, man. Chill! Chill! Chill, yeah, chill. chill man! What this scene does is it sets up the flash uh, setup where it's like, if you flash a light in their face, it snaps their internal back to reality. Yeah. And they're like, get out. And that's when, that's when Lakeith come up. And Lakeith's like, get out, man. No, that's Lakeith. That ain't even Andre. <laughs> that ain't Andre. That's Lakeith. He's like, get out. Leave. Now. <laughs> and nobody knows what's going on. To that point, upon first feeling, you don't know what's going on either. But... When you watch it again, it's like, oh, he trying to get you the game, nigga, leave. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, what the fuck is going on? Is he attacking him? Why is he telling him leave? Is he mad that he's getting all the white attention? What's going on here? Right, right. <laughs> and he's like, get out now. Go. And he's get like, out! Then his nose bleeding and shit. You don't know what's going on. Right. He's a, he's a cokehead. Right, something. It's, oh. He's everything but somebody trying to help. Exactly. Everything that's wrong, like and the next scene is her, her putting him back in check. No, the next yeah, the next scene is when they, they tell you the dad is a neurosurgeon and that he fucks with people brains. So more set up for further events. Yeah. And you know, and then Andre comes up and the coon is back. He's like, I would imagine my outburst had disturbed some of you and I owe you an apology. He's like, no one talks like that, bro. Cut it out. You know what I'm saying? Come on, we come on, come on now. Come on now. And then the next scene is um, him and Rose are out by the water. By the water. Mm-hmm. And Rose is like, it's played up as couples. I was like, you're really about to leave me? And she starts gaslighting him in the stand. Low key. Where she's like, so you just gonna leave me? And like me personally, not my yeah. parents' house. Yeah, just me personally. And, and Chris... Chris Savior Complex comes up because that's when he fleshes out why he um he reacted the way he did to the deer and why he reacts the way he does. And it sets up his like his savior mentality when he's like, you know, I could have helped my mom. Please put the scene here because I'm not doing it justice. But he's like, I could have helped my mom. There was time to uh, save her. She she didn't die from the hit and run immediately. She died that morning. Laying out. Yeah. And the shit that kind of like fucked me up that's another thing I got he's like you're all I got I'm like bro what you just knew this bitch for four months <laughs> what are you talking about that's all I got what, what's going on here like why are you acting this way and I for the life of me I doesn't have any family that we know of for the life of me I cannot understand why you would say that <laughs> even like in character or technical aspect of the movie I don't get why that line is there now Obviously, it's like Chris being vulnerable with her and showing how much he loves her. But it's like, I still don't get it. We're not, more than that. Yeah, what do you think? Because I, I can't make sense of it. What I took from that was, he's been through so much loss and traumatic experience through his life. And the only person outside of the tragedy that we see through this movie is him and Rod's relationship. As far as we know, that's the only friend we know that he has. Okay. When, when he says, you all I have, He's saying as far as somebody that I feel like I can be 100% you my person. You know what I mean? All right. All right. He doesn't have parents. Right. We don't know about family he has. This is the only person I have that I can be vulnerable with. 
I can confide with. Like even with Rod, it's not he's not confiding with Rod. Rod's just his man. That's my friend. Yeah, yeah. that's my folks. But you, you my girl. I'm supposed to be able to give you a thousand of me. You my life partner. Or that's whatever. what he means. Okay, okay. I thought it was a bit much. It's like you, you only been with this shit for five months. Come on, bro. Settle down. Settle down, Ranger. Settle down. <laughs> People fall in love in one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It may not apply to you personally. That's why you don't understand. But some people have that. Like, if you right. don't have anybody. And then that's juxtaposed with them literally selling Chris off with the bingo cards. With the silent auction. Yeah, and it's juxtaposed with him being vulnerable to him being sold. So it's like. And after that's revealed... I will never forgive them for the hood nigga pose they got him in on that picture. <laughs> that's, probably his, uh, that's probably his LinkedIn profile picture. <laughs> Yo, this John, though? When you got a book, the <laughs> photographer, that's his picture. And then, and then they pulled the rug out from... It's like, oh, you thought the, you thought Hudson was your, was your friend? Watch this. No, he's just as bad as the rest. Right. He, in fact, he, right. he don't even care that you... He just wants you, boy. He just wants a vision, boy. Real shit. And after that, the whole mood changes. It, like oh, I, it's gone. It's gone. And like I said with Gone Girl, when you do a twist, you have to change. It has to recontextual. It has to, one, recontextualize everything that happened before. And the entire movie has to change. It can't just be a twist in the same theme, so you move. The movie now has to conform to the fact that uh, and the, the script has been flipped. Now it's no longer a... Um, Meet the family. I forget that movie name. I forget that movie name. I'm upset. I forget that or movie. Meet the parents. Yeah, it's not Meet the Parents no more. Now it's oh, Harvard Thriller, Slavery Auction. Basically, it's like you're reminded this is a Harvard Thriller, and now we're about to dial it up to eleven. Yeah, and it happens the mood switch. The fucking time of day even changed. It's nighttime now. Night. Oh, you yes, that's what I was about to say. Even the setting change. Fast. Even the setting change is nighttime now. The music is a lot more creepy. And you got Walter and Georgina or something. Yeah, some well, real creep like, shit. What the fuck wrong with y'all? And then the brother's just sitting there casually playing the loop. The playing band. that bullshit ass ukulele. Like. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And then the mom is the mom and dad just sitting there like, yes, you got your ass. But everybody's you, smiling all creepy. What's your problem? It's, it's creepy now. It's dialed up to fucking eleven. You like what? I'd have like, bitch, fix your wig. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But at this point, but to this, to our knowledge, Rose and Chris have already decided they're leaving. Yeah, yeah. And this is when uh, he sends the picture of Andre to Rod. Yeah, and then Rod calls and is like, he called him in, bro. One second, one call second. Him, he's like, oh, that's Drake. Drake. Andre Hayworth. Used to kick it with Veronica. Veronica from what? Teresa's sister that worked at the movie theater on 8th. Yeah. Yes, that is him. That is him. But wait, 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 wait. This is so fucking, fucking crazy. Yo, he's different. No shit. Why is he dressed like that? It's not that. It's everything. He came to the party with a white woman like 30 years old now. Sex slave! Oh, shit. Chris, you gotta get the fuck up out of there, man. You in some eye-wide shut situation? Leave, motherfucker. Oh, you gonna be a hello, Chris? Oh, oh shit! His battery must be fucking died. Shit! No, he, 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 he said that's Drake. That's Drake. That's Drake. That's him. That's him. And then the phone died. Yes, he was like Drake. 
He said, you remember the girl from the... Yeah, you remember that bitch from Anita from over on 76? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. When niggas do this shit, like... Yeah, that joke. It's like, I knew it. And then the phone hung I up. I knew it. The phone hung up before they connect connect the dots. So it's like, damn. So then that's when... That sets up... You gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that sets up Rod's uh, plot. And, um... The Rose reveal is brilliant. Rose is magnificent. Magnificent. Because, one, Chris discovers it, but he tries to dispel it like he's been doing this whole time. Like, or maybe she's just a liar. Cool. But he's going through her her, uh, closet and he's looking and he sees the picture. He finds the shoebox. Yeah, he finds the shoebox and he's looking at the pictures. Now, at first, it's black people we don't know. So, like, maybe she's a liar. Or maybe she dated black people before and she just hasn't brought them home. Whatever. Now we see it. We see Walter and Georgina. Walter and Georgina's like, oh, this bitch. And now, and the. Oh, y'all in cahoots. There's some shit going on. There's some shit going on. But, like, did she see it? Did she notice? And she's like, right. And this is where Allison really shows her acting ability because she's like, nah. (laughs) Let's go. Come on. He's like, did you find those keys yet? No? All right, let, let's do it on the move. Come on. Let's yeah. do this on the move. I love that. Oh, I love that. Why do I got to put it in there? Oh, you can't find those keys? <laughs> no, I can never find them. Let's do this on the move. Yeah. I let's, love that line. Yeah, let's, let's do this on the move. Come on. We're not sticking around. And I'm about to get you with some shit when we get in the car. <laughs> so I'm going to dig in your ass on the way home, bitch, because you show it off. You think you slick, but I, uh, you think it's on the scale of baby oil to... Uh, on the scale of baby or the Crisco, how slick you think you is, bitch? <laughs> but you think I don't know, bro? I love that line so much. Let's do let's this do on the move. Yeah, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Find I those felt keys. that one. I felt that. F- find those keys, and then that's when shit just goes up another level. I don't like him. I don't like her brother in front of the door with the uh, with the with the lacrosse stick. Well, at that point, put that shit down. The jig is up. The jig is up. I'm assuming. That's my point. But you're standing out and be like, listen to me. Like, well, I didn't have a cigarette yet. When, they got, to the room, when they got to the room, he's like, you know what? We out of here. I'm assuming she went downstairs and was like, hey, we got to do listen, it now. He on, he on shit. He on we shit. Do it now. And that's why Jeremy at the door. The dad's preparing. I don't like that. I don't yeah. like that. Get the fuck out of my way, bro. That's, that's what I would have said. <laughs> but his, his natural black instinct came into play, and I love how they did it subtly. When he put his back up against the wall so he yeah, could see you. everybody. Yeah, he was like, like, I know what's up. What's going on? I know. Oh. I know the finesse. I know what this is. I'm putting this dad dialogue right here, too. You need to. What is your purpose, Chris? What? In life. What is your purpose? Right now, he's finding those keys. Fire. It's a reflection of our own mortality. We're born, we breathe, and we die. Rose? I'm lucky. Even the sun will die someday. But we are divine. We are the gods trapped in cocoons. Well, his little Batman, when he leaning over the fireplace, and he talk, and he just being creepy and being uh, poetic for no reason at all. You, <laughs> you got a turtleneck on, bro. I don't want to hear no fucking life lesson. You got a turtleneck on, trying to give me your Langston Hughes impression, trying to compare my That's life. What I'm saying, like, give it a rest, bro. <laughs> he like, hey, Rose, uh, how about Rose the keys? keys. Yeah. 
That's when the the switch is really. He started yelling this shit because Jeremy swung. And then uh, Daniel acting goes up like, "Where those keys?" <laughs> this shit. Yo, ah, oh, love that line. He said, "Rose, where are those keys, Rose?" With the bag, he killed it. He like, "Where are those keys, man?" <laughs> you know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? And you can drop all rule. You can tell he like on his last leg. He like, come on, man, not you too. Come Please, on, don't, come on, don't do this to me. I love the did you right? And then she like, you know I can get the keys, right, babe? <laughs> oh, you, oh, you. Then he, he like, you cold. Like, well, I guess all I can do is fight now. And then that's when the spoon pay off. It's fully realized. But she's like, all right, yeah. boom. You know he was gonna fuck Jeremy up, don't you? He had to. Jeremy can't fight. <laughs> what? It's jujitsu bullshit. <laughs> he said, but give me a minute, I'm going to explain why. I'm going to get there in a second. <laughs> tear- First of all, you tried to block me with the lacrosse. They're like, what does going to do when I kick you, bro? <laughs> in my hiking boots. <laughs> you feel me in my tight-ass denim shirt? <laughs> that shit did not come past the elbow. <laughs> and then my man just dropped like a rock. And boom. <laughs> And then the mom's, like, the mom's like, move, you've done enough, Jeremy, move. <laughs> he said, well, damn it, I could have got him. No, you couldn't have. You, right. you might have already. If Chris wasn't so oblivious, you would have ruined our plans well beforehand. <laughs> move, right, yo. Because he was going to fuck you up at that table. You idiot. He would have left right then and there if he would have let you go on. That's a fact. And then, uh. You got Rod trying to call his yeah, phone on crazy. Like I said. This movie does a great job of addressing the ridiculousness of the plot. And like I said, it isn't bad for those because the tension has already been fleshed out. And so now we need a, we need a palate cleanse. This has been a very scary movie. Let's get some calm down. Let's let's bring down the status quo. Remember, you're still watching the movie. Let's have fun here. We're here to have fun. Yeah. You know, Rod, he's going to go explain. He's basically going to explain the plot to people in the audience. And when you explain how ridiculous the plot is, you have no choice but to laugh. <laughs> it's like exactly. And then, he, and like Chris, he's doing a terrible job of explaining it. So when it does, when he's explaining, it's like, bro, what? Hey, son. Hey, hey, come here. Listen to this shit. Bro, shut. The black girl with the one more again. Run past one more again. <laughs> Say one more again, please. One more. Time. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just started dying. He's like. <laughs> Then the niggas are doing the TSA. She said, see, we might even know more than you, you know, detective, because I got my TSA. He said, because we, we got the same training. I noticed. <laughs> I was cracking the fuck up. <laughs> then they just started busting out laughing at him. Even before he go to the cops, we got, when he was, uh, he woke up in the, the chair. What was going on? Yeah, that, when he found out uh, Andre was missing for six months. Six months. Like, what the fuck? But I was talking about when he was watching that. Instructional video about the coagula. Yeah, that happens afterwards. Yeah, no, that's right after he Googled it. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And he's trying to figure, he even got a damn notepad out. He's trying to figure out was uh, trying to connect the dots and shit because Chris phoned out and he couldn't do it on the phone. So now he's on it. Because I'm assuming he would have did it on the phone with Chris and shown that, yo, I've been missing for six months, dog. You got bail now, but the phone hung up and at that point it was all too late. Yeah. So then we move. He explained the coagula. I don't really feel like we need to flesh that out. Ain't too much going on. We it's don't. It ain't. Yeah, going on. And the deer. It's some, a typical you fucked instructional video. Yeah, the setting up um the time constraints and how much time Chris has to figure out. You know. 
And uh, I think the only part you got to explain is the um, when I don't think feel like we got to explain that because he's like, you know, I don't really care for the racism. I'm blind. I can't tell you're black anyway. But what I want is what you possess, bro. I'm not here because you're black. I'm here because you're great. He said, I want what you got. I want those things you see through. Yeah, he he even says it when uh uh he's a really good character, even though he's an evil piece of he shit. He is a really good character because he was like, you know, when I, I used to do art myself. Our understanding helps the front. He's like, you can give a shit, right? Yeah, you don't want to hear that shit. You either, I'm about to be in your body anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, wait, 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 wait. Before let's let's go back just a second where he calls Rose's phone. Oh, you dirty dog. <laughs> yeah, you got to do Because she said, played the game. Like. He said, oh, he, oh, what you call Rose this morning? Yeah. Hello? Chris? Yo, um, hey, what a, Rose, it's, um, it's, it's me, Rod. Hi. Where's Chris? He left two days ago. He left? Yeah, he, he got all paranoid and then he freaked out on me. And then he just got in a cab and left his phone. Wait, you haven't seen him? Oh, he never came back here. Oh my God. Look, look, man, I've been calling his phone a bunch of times. Matter of fact, I went to the police. What did you say? I just said he was missing. Oh, good. Uh... Let me ask you something. What cab company did he uh, did he use to leave? Oh gosh, I I don't know. I guess uh, maybe a a local one, or I guess he he could have called an Uber. Um, wait, I'm so confused. Oh, you confused? Oh, sh okay, confused. You know something? Me too. Hold could you hold on one second? Okay. Okay, hold on. You lying bitch. She is lying like a motherfucker. I know that. Ooh, that TSA shit tingles. This motherfucker's lying. Fuck, I got you. I'm gonna record your ass. I'm gonna record the shit out of you. You talk too goddamn much. You gonna say something. Hold on. Record. Speaker. Unmute. Uh, uh Rose? Uh-huh. Um, so last time I talked to Chris, he told me your mama hypnotized him. Rod, just stop. I know why you're calling. Why is that? <laughs> it's kind of obvious, don't you think? What? That there's something between us. Oh, what you talking about, girl? I called you about Chris. No, Rod. Whenever we'd go out, I remember you looking at me. What the fuck you know? Chris is my best friend. Hey, look, if you did something to him... I know you think about fucking me, Rod. Allison Williams' acting is fucking amazing. And the creep factor is up 9,000 when she's just sitting there in her white turtleneck. Who owns white turtlenecks? No one. That's my point. And she's just sitting there, sitting at attention. Nigga ain't sitting at attention since 10th grade. <laughs> Bro, shit. She's sitting at attention on the phone and she's like, oh no. But her face is blank and it's all in the voice. Yeah. <laughs> he left. And then, uh, 
And then Rod, Rod's such an idiot because Rod, he's like, hold on, hold on. I'm going to record it. And then she's like, she's like, all right. She peep game. She peep game. What's up? And she's like, I know you think about I mean, I'm about to make you look like a nigga. Like, I know you think about fucking me, Rod. And then the parents. He said, like, ain't nobody think about fucking you. Fucking you. Fucking you. Fucking you. <laughs> he said, she, she's a genius. She's a genius. <laughs> and then the parents show up and they just hear, yes. <laughs> and then Rose goes off to her room. And. Yeah, and then. It shows us one that sets up the cotton. Now, since the movie has to hurry up and be over because we're running up on end time, the uh, setups and payoffs aren't as brilliant as they were earlier in the movie. So now, like, the cotton is real obviously hinted at that this is going to something that's going to come into play later. How they do it is clever as fuck because I wouldn't have thought to do that if I was stuck in Chris Pine. I'd have just been, you know, I'd have just been homeboy. <laughs> I'd have just been fucked. <laughs> yeah. And I love that when the horror movie, when the main character is smarter than me because normally... In a horror movie, the main character is just dumb as hell. He's a fucking idiot. And I loved it as a black main character. Yeah, and he's like, damn, I would have never thought that. <laughs> using yeah, the, he, he cracked him over the top of his shit, didn't he? Using the tools of white oppression to overcome white race, uh, white supremacy. It was just, ah, chef, narrative chef. Uh, what? Uh, ah, chef's he's kiss. like, Jory, you dirty dog. <laughs> Yeah, because he's like, where's Rose? And uh, fucking homeboy's like, oh, you dirty dog. <laughs> like, oh, you want some more of that? You got some more jungle fever, huh? You want to touch that white girl? <laughs> you dirty dog, you. <laughs> and then uh, the deer is showing again, the stuffed deer. And I don't... I, I, what I came to the conclusion was I feel like they were trying to compare it to Chris's situation where it's like, you're as helpless as that deer now. That's what I said earlier. Okay, I'm about to say that's what I said earlier. I seen this movie a lot, and I can never make sense of why they had to show us the deer. And now I'm putting it together while I'm thinking critically. But I'm like, they're comparing Chris to that stuffed deer. Like, dude, deer. you're just as helpless as that deer on the side of the road now, bro. That's why I was like, he he found himself in that. Yeah, yes. that's what I was saying earlier. And that scene, and that makes more sense here than it does earlier. Back then, but I'm saying when I watched the movie, that's why I felt that way. Okay. Okay, and um. What's next? Next is... Uh, they prepping for surgery. Yeah, next is... And then it shows Jeremy being a medical assistant, which is payoff to something that happened way in the beginning of the movie when he said he must be just yeah. like man. It's like, oh, shit. This how he being like his old man. So you want to be a piece of shit? Like... <laughs> right. And then uh, the cotton payoff because Jeremy comes in and unbuckles him. And then he beats and they go to bocce ball. First of all, I've never seen bocce ball... I've never seen bocce ball anywhere except this movie. And that's like, that gotta be the most whitest white shit. I've <laughs> never seen that before, yeah. Like, how hard is a bocce ball where you can bust a by head you open? You crack his shit open. It was still alive. Like, bro, what you want? <laughs> and wait, like, it's not like a regular, you were like, you saw your shit leak out. Like, yeah. Beat him with a bocce ball and throws the cotton on his ear. And it's like, yeah. Use the tools of white oppression to overcome white supremacy. Just kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking bro, you pick cotton to free yourself. Let's go, bro. <laughs> that was different. That was different. Yeah. And he do Dean different than that next part with the yeah. deer. Whatever you hate gonna come back to hurt you, bro. You hate deer? Watch this. <laughs> you fucking prick. No, the real shit. Skilting with the stuff, yeah, deer. Instantaneous beast mode. I love this part. Yeah, that shit was great. And we're not gonna do it justice talking about it. And I'm mad we don't have any quotes to insert here. 
There's no quotes. There's no quotes. I feel like people have seen this movie enough to they know exactly what we're talking about. <clears throat> of course. Then his uh, cut roses fetishizing over black people, black men in particular, athletes. Sure. With, Even the metaphor right there. Then um, <laughs> then the pictures are framed now. The pictures that was in the shoebox and they are framed in her yeah. window this year, eating her segregated cereal. Thank <laughs> you, thank you. I wanted you to say it. I wanted you to say it. Eating the segregated cereal where to keep the colors away from the white. First of all, anyway, yo, this is why you my dog. Like anyone that drinks white milk is already nasty as shit. Go You're drink. bullshit. You're bullshit. Like a regular person, don't drink no fucking cow's milk. You creep. Said <laughs> you nasty You 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 gotta be a real sicko to sit there and be like, I'm thirsty. Let me get some some dairy milk. You a nasty bastard. Ew, bitch. <laughs> um, he went into instant beast mode. Right, he went so up the, the steps. Scene, then the next scene after we see Rose's fetishization with black men in particular. Yeah. Uh, he into a woman. Is he? Yeah, he breaks the cup. Is like, oh no, I'm not falling for that. And then, bro, you know, she I, stabbed him with the letter opener. You know how strong you gotta be to take a stab into the hand. Did you see the face? He was like. I've been through so much right now, bitch. This is not it. <laughs> Bro. And stab during her fucking dome with it. The hand hurts. I know you're not somebody who practices combat sports. But when you fuck up your hand, you feel that shit forever. Like, I still have fucking thing. I still be feeling my finger contusions, which is a bone bruise on the bone itself. Not like on the skin. It's a bruise on the bone. I still feel that shit to this day. And that shit happened years ago. Yeah. Fucking tank a knife through the hand. It's like, nah. Right. Bitch, no. Black Superman now, bitch. <laughs> Time for you to go. His genetics came into play. He stabbed her with the knife still in his hand. And her <laughs> fucking shit, like. It's like, yeah. And then Jeremy and that bullshit chokehold. Please talk about it. <laughs> First of all, if you he doesn't have it sunk all the way in. So he has it where it's red. On the chin. When you choke someone, you want to cut off air to the sides of their neck. When you're choking the front, it's uncomfortable, but it's survivable. To yeah. get the most effective choke, you want to really put pressure on the sides of their neck, and you're not taking the air out of their throat. What you're doing is cutting off the blood circulation to their head. And that's yeah. how you get the choking effect. Jeremy, first of all, the elbow was sitting on his neck, so he's not all the way in. And then he's trying to put... The hand is there. You can put it behind his head, bro. So it's like the effect you want to get is like a pizza slicer where you're pushing your underhand back while the front hand is going forward. And you want to push the neck into that pocket between the bicep and the forearm. That's where you want to get the choke in. German can't push the head forward, can't do nothing. And then instead of putting the hooks in, the hooks is when he will put the heels of his feet on Chris's inner thigh so Chris can't move. Instead of doing that, he's got his legs in there dangling so Chris can keep moving forward and fight him. It's like, bro, you bullshit. You don't really know what you're doing. You only... That's <laughs> like, that shit only work on Lakeith. That shit ain't working on somebody who actually want to fight back. Fact. Which we see, and like he said, being three moves ahead, he planned out. Are you going to keep kicking this door? All right, kick this. Stabs you right here. Boom! Real shit. And Rose shows up with the rifle and starts chasing Chris. That old-ass fucking rifle. 
And that's when we get the payoff for the very first open, one of the opening fucking lines back. You're not going to get chased off the lawn with a shotgun. Yeah, you're going to get chased off the lawn with a rifle by me, bitch. Because <laughs> he, he ran over grandma. Yeah, because you're looking at it right now. So, yeah, he ran over grandma. And that's when we get the, if you didn't already catch on. And that's when you get, she's like. <laughs> well, niggas two on one side of the moment. <laughs> Niggas hungry right now. We've been going for like three hours. That's what I'm saying. Strong. This needs to be this long, though. Okay. And that's when, she, if you weren't paying attention, if you didn't catch on to we leave a piece of grandma in here, and that's when the movie goes, spells it out for you, where she's like, grandma. And he runs her over and it's cut to Georgina. Right. You ruined my house! <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Chris' saviorism pops up again, because he's like, He's fighting. I can't people. leave her. I can't leave her. How would you? What did you would have done? I'd have like, see. I'm I'm heavy on. I'm not helping nobody. I don't blame him. I don't blame him because he already. I, I get. I get it. No. Because at that point, you already seen like, hey, I could. I was able to help Lakeith a little bit. Maybe I could do it again. Yeah, but at the end of the day, this is a black woman lying and helpless. Maybe I could do something. Unlike what I did with my mom, I could do something this time. And you see, no, that's what I'm saying. We get why he did it, but the circumstances, that's that bullshit. Like, I said, I would have died. I would have been dead by this point because I wouldn't have thought to pick no cotton to save myself. <laughs> Thank God for his cigarette problem. <laughs> his jitters was kicking his ass in that chair. But he goes back and. and at least let me get a puff before I die. Damn it. I can't go out without a good port. So then he goes back and uh, save motherfucking Georgina, knocking over the helmet from the beginning of the movie, again, paying off what was set up way in the beginning of the movie. Because you say knocking off a helmet? The helmet, because he gets in Jeremy's car, and the helmet that you saw in the beginning of the movie is there. Yeah, just, yeah. In case you didn't catch on yet, that's what that's what it was in the beginning of the movie. It was Jeremy catching Lakeith. Which, um... Uh... The Hudson Gallery guy, he says that. He says, I hear, he said, you were one of the lucky ones that get caught with Rose. I hear Jeremy's wrangling methods are a lot more brutal. And then you have that, you have that flashback of Jeremy choking out Lakeith in the opening scene, which apparently happened six months ago. So then he's in the car. He knocks down the helmet. It's like, oh, shit, that's what happened. Because it's the same car from the beginning. Yeah. And that's when Grandma comes back. Not Georgina, Grandma. She's like, you my house. <laughs> Boom. Boom, car crash. Chris gets out and starts trying to walk up the driveway. And then this nigga was hitting the <laughs> Then if you ain't touched it Walter was really granddad, she goes, Rose goes, Go get him, grandpa. There <laughs> you go. With the joy. that's running for him and he tackles him. And then we get the payoff with the flash where he shoots, he flashes him with the camera because he finally remembers, hey, this worked. Snap. This nigga had the joy. And he snaps back. And like I said, being a passenger in your own body is worse than death. So he goes and shoots Georgina with the rifle and then kills himself because he knows, he probably feels the grandpa coming back. You're like, no, this ain't it no more. It's chief. Boom. And that brings us to the end. Where Chris goes to choke out. Yeah. He goes to, um, 
Chris, my man, because she was like, I love you. He's like, that was what pissed him off the most. Hey, bitch, please. <laughs> but to, to his credit, it is really hard to choke someone that way. Like, if you're going to do a rear naked choke like Jeremy did, it's real easy. It takes fucking 15 seconds to do that to somebody. But if you're going to choke somebody that way, where I'm going two-hand choke you, and I'm going to pull all my pressure on the front. First of all, it's hard to do. And it's really brutal for you to try and kill somebody with your bare hands. So I don't fault him for not killing her. She probably going to bleed out and die anyway, but I'm not about to have... I'm not a monster like you and your family. I'm not about to have your blood on my hands. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's why he gets up and walks away. And that brings us to... So in the fact, I think the fact that you can clearly tell it was meant to be two different endings is when it starts by him raising his hands, but then it cuts the rod. And then we, he's on the ground again. So you can clearly see it was meant to be two different endings. And that brings us to this discussion that I wanted to save for the podcast. I sent you an alternate ending. What did you think? Well, I saw that before when the movie right. came out. But I, I said, I'm glad they didn't go that route. That's cliche as fuck. That was cliche in my opinion. I, I didn't care to see him make his way out of one struggle and get right into another form. I'm like, come on, that's bullshit. So in my personal opinion, I like how they ended it. Let us win for once. Damn. Yeah, I understand that. It gives you that, that bit of hope when he does overcome it, in my opinion, though. Fake alert. <laughs> Damn. Since this movie is going for social commentary and it's telling Jordan Peterson's own admission, he wanted to talk about the lie of liberal, uh, of post-racism, liberal uh, Obama, should I say it earlier in the podcast, that it will be more, for the terms of the narrative he's trying to tell, be more rewarding to the narrative, not to the audience, but to the narrative itself that if Chris got arrested, because that would really drive home Jordan Peele's point. It's like, you think you overcame one form of racism and oppression, but watch this. Now we got to deal with mass incarceration. It's like, oh, yeah, because that's part of America, too. We're not dealing with racist white people, but now we're getting unfairly targeted. And it pays off for the cop in the beginning of the scene. And... We'll talk about the ending and the, uh, the, the original ending because it's not even the alternate ending. The alternate ending is the one we got in theaters. The original ending is the one where you go to jail. Rod is trying to like get Chris to confess and, and Chris is like, you know what? Fuck it, bro. I'm already stuck here and I made peace with the fact that that evil doesn't exist anymore. It's still this one of mass incarceration and the disproportionate amount of black people that are in prison. That's still a problem within itself, but I made peace with knowing the fact that those fuckers aren't going to corrupt people anymore. Is That would have been a very depressing way to end that movie. I mean, it, but that's the thing. It would have made sense. That's real. And it, yeah, but we all get that that's real. It's just, we get it. That's why I said it's cliche. We've seen that. And no, and nobody wants to uh, root for Chris to get out and survive just for him to end up in prison. Said, Come on, it's bullshit. I'm yeah. going into another prison. I might as well be a passenger. People would have rioted. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. 
Jordan oh, Peele would never been allowed to make another movie again. <laughs> it wouldn't have been no us, because fuck you, nigga. It's we right. and you. Like He had been called every coon in the book. Yeah, that's bullshit. And I'm so glad he was smart. Somebody told him. No. It wasn't him. I'm chewing some right now. No, you good. A Pop-Tart. It was um test audiences. <laughs> it was... um. He showed the original ending in the movie in its entirety to test audiences, and they were disturbed. And they didn't want to see it like that, so he went back and thought about it again. And that's when you get the scene with Rod. It's like, it's drawing. It, that's the one time where like, you really got to have, like, actual um, ludonarrative dissonance where it's like, all right, I guess. When Rod pulls up, it's like, first of all, how you find this house? But secondly, that was number one. I said that too. I first of all, you too. find this house, and secondly, the cops still gonna come find you. Eventually, this shit gonna get out, bro. <laughs> so then we gotta believe you ain't going to jail, and we gotta believe you ain't going to jail. And Rob was able to find this house. Like, come on, man, there's a little bit too. You asking too much of us right now. It's too many holes, but I. People prefer a loose ending than a cliche one. I'm gonna say for the sake of. I'm gonna just say that for the sake of hope, it's fine. Like we'll let it ride. We prefer it. Yeah, we prefer yeah. that. And I don't know if it's really a detriment for the sake of storytelling or not. Because I am legend. I am legend is like this, where um the ending we got is not the ending that the book. Because people don't know I am legend is a book. The book described where. The ending of I Am Legend is Will Smith. He basically gives himself up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the other yeah. end of the network too. But in the book, the, the book isn't good. I don't suggest you read the book. But the ending to the book is uh, the girl he's with. I forget her name. The girl he with knocks Will Smith. Will would be Will Smith out unconscious. Then he wakes up. And it's all the uh, little monster things. I forget their name because I haven't seen the movie in a long time. But the monsters are all circling around. He and would will be Will Smith's characters. Like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And that's when you find out that the monster things are their own sentient beings, and they're instead of being a curse on society, they're the next evolution of society. And you find out that rather than being immune to the disease, she uh she's a mutation of the disease. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what she's basically saying is she ends up saying to what would be Will Smith's character in the book is excuse me. She said, you know I can't just let you go right. You've systematically hunted down and attacked our people for months upon months and you think I'm just about to let you be? I personally don't care but my friends are not about to go for it. And where the movie, where the book and the movie gets its name, I Am Legend from, is what would be Will Smith's character is reflecting on all the murder he did in a way that makes it seem like you're only the hero because you're the one telling the story. In the eyes of the monsters, quote unquote monsters, you're an evil sting that has been systematically hunting us down just for the fact that we exist. And he just ends with the line. I am legend in the sense that I'm going to be a legend to these people for the fact that I like how Dracula or I forget the actual, the king that Dracula is based off of his name, how he is to us in that sense. And that's not a hopeful ending. That's not a, 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 um, 
uh, inspiring ending, but what it is is a rewarding ending in the sense that it pays off the idea that you're only the hero because you framed it that way. And that brings me back to Get Out because endings that imply hope for whatever reason, why does it feel like, not in the sense of like black people, obviously we know why hopeful endings are fulfilling for black people, but just the idea that a hopeful ending is inherently better because of what exactly? When the idea of theater was first formed, it was Greek tragedies, and the idea of a tragedy that it ends bad, but you learn a lesson from it, and I want to see what you guys say, why is that type of ending not accepted anymore? The one that was the original? Not the original, but my whole tangent of like, a hopeful ending isn't compared to a tragic ending. Why is the hopeful ending, first of all, that's the that's the majority of endings we get now in movies where it always ends on a hopeful note. But why is that become like somewhat more acceptable than a tragic ending where you learn a valuable lesson about humanity? Whereas with a hopeful... That's what I'm saying. It's like... No, finish what you're about to say. But whereas with a hopeful ending, it ends on this note that like, yeah, we can overcome this. But instead of learning the valuable lesson, you think it could just be overcome and be remiss. You know I'm saying? You don't learn a valuable lesson about humanity. I think at this point in time, we 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 in 2021. I look at it when you get in the the type of ending that would have been the original. Just you know the reality. Mm-hmm. Not only is that something that it won't be, it won't it won't continuously teach you a different lesson. It's getting very redundant at this point because okay. we have a lot of example of movies where they do go that route where we get what we know is supposed to be what's supposed to happen. You're not teaching us nothing that we haven't seen in a million black movies. Just give black people some hope. Give us something to be like, maybe if we overcome some shit, we can go on to live a happily ever after. You don't get too many black stories, especially a horror film where we live to see the end of the movie. And no one died while Georgina... Let us have it. But Georgina died in like that Batman way of dying, where it's like, ain't nobody kill you, but... (laughs) It just went out that way. It was manslaughter, but it wasn't, you know, you ain't gonna get murdered. And in a Walter character, he was like, he was suffering a fate worse than death. So he's like, I'm gonna take take it upon myself to put an end to this. Exactly. And and I feel like it's important because black people's reality can be very horror story-esque. Right. Right. So just give people something to be happy. Black people deserve a fucking fairy tale for once, though. That's why I think they went that road. I agree. Like I said, um, narrative-wise, and the message Jordan Peele wanted to create, the original ending is the ending you probably... It made the most sense. It made sense. But in the the societal terms, we don't need that ending. We don't need that no more. Like I said, people, people would have rioted that was the ending. <laughs> Jordan yes. Peele made another movie. The person from society. Like. From society, right next to <laughs> Right next to Al Pacino. Yeah, <laughs> right next to his accent. <laughs> Mm. Oh, for real. But no, that's how I feel about it. We needed that. I agree. Uh, I, uh, I, I we already said in the beginning. Um, and that has been Get Out. Catch us next week where we will be. This is fucking punishment. <laughs> reviewing Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let's give him a rating real quick. 
Five out of five. The fuck? I'm biased. He said this is my favorite movie of all time. Well, I would question. <laughs> nah, I'm with you on that. I, um, let me see. I understand why someone won't like this movie because the social commentary turns them off. I understand that. I think that's a... I yeah, mean, but you're giving your personal... I think, you're giving, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if that's what you boil this movie down to. Because on a horror level scale, this movie is still brilliant. And everyone should watch this. And first of all, if we're going off the horror scale, it's a 10 out of 5 because it's the only horror movie that's any way different. Yeah. But to it's this point, totally different. We could talk about this another fucking time, but Jordan Peele has saved horror. And he built Blumhouse. Blumhouse is now like the horror studio now because of this movie. Yep. I'm going to give it a 5, too, just based on how the movie was put together. I give it the same thing. Now, nigga, I can't wait to see what you say about Black Panther. I ain't got shit up to say. We enter Wakanda. Tragic, intimidated by blackness You won't be the reason I can't recognize me in the casket What's the equivalent to mental reparations? Post-traumatic stress from what we've seen and lack of education Niggas graduate to wait, not from high school Stereotypes and they can't wait to see us playing to them I like to say I gotta thank this nigga J. Cole He taught me I could tell the truth and get my paper long And fuck a chain cause my people seen enough of those Besides the pain I got bigger shit to focus on Like my mama house or lack thereof Life to beat it down and it's been hard for me to pick her up And what? Don't say you praying for me nigga do it Who won't pay for all the lies that the pigs done ruined Who really there to comfort you when you in need a holder Swear the tears a nigga drop the vest is in the ocean 400 years of destitution got my niggas broke And we addicted to the pangas though that's all we know Shane in prison raising niggas more than parents doing Don't feel the need to steal my blessings I can share them with you How can I talk to you by chain when I ain't seen none How can I speak to gun control when niggas carry one Blessings to that young nigga on the corner trying to eat cause it's my I'm getting high and he don't know his father How can I judge when that's all that you know Life is hard and it's all about survival I know and I know A little piece inside your mind he rested to him For a life of bad but I don't wanna be another hashtag All we wanna do is take the chains off All we wanna do is break the chains off you All we wanna do is be free All we wanna do is be free All we wanna do is take the chains off All we wanna do is be free